Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman and back in the old saddle here with the RSP cast studios. We've got one Dwayne McFarlane, much awaited podcast with Dwayne now of pro football focus. Dwayne, welcome back, man. It's good to see you. Man, it feels like uh, it's been an eternity. I know we we uh, we we talk often, but I guess the last pod I did with you was like in April or something. So yeah, man, it's really good to be back on talking about football and uh, yeah, full time at Pro Football Focus. I remember you and I first talking about a this kind of a topic. I don't know four years ago now, and you yeah. kind of coaching me on hey, be patient, things take time, et cetera, et cetera. So I really appreciate all of your your guidance through these years and uh, allow me, you know, to help build an audience with you and with your audience. Cause that's really where it all started. So I'm always eternally grateful for that. Oh, well, that's, you know, that's very nice of you, but man, it'll make you know, blush. It's a, we it's, can't see cause your beard, but I'm, I'm trying to exactly, make you blush. That's it in the dark <laughs> and all of that. But the, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, for you, it was fast. Actually, it was much faster than most. So, um, that speaks a lot to your talent. So we're going to get a chance to have your talent on display here because we're going to talk about a variety of teams that interest us the most from a, you know, from a film and, and data standpoint um, to steal Dwayne's and um, Jay Moyer's old podcast. We'll have Jay on hopefully fairly soon when he can, um, you know, when he can find some time and get a little sleep now that he's congratulations to him and his most recent newborn. So, um you know, we're going from there. I'm acting like he's having, he's got a factory in there, but I don't know if he's well, a I don't, I know. factory I he, either. I think he is. You know, Jay has, must be one of the most efficient human beings in the world to be a doctor, um, you know, have a, a small family like that and still find time to somehow crunch fantasy or football. Yeah, we're gonna stuff. we're gonna ask him if he's building a football team because I have a feeling that that maybe that maybe that's the goal. I'm gonna have to ask him that right off the bat. But that right and off, ask him if he's a, if he's a cyborg. If he's a cyborg, exactly. <laughs> we'll have to do that too. So uh, we'll get a laugh out of Jay. But you know, something that we've been kind of chuckling over, you know, just before we tape the show and go, let's add it on, and we just decide to put it on first is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm I was I look around and I'm. You know, and I'm sitting here going, I think Tom Brady's on track for a record season. I've thought this for the past two years, looking at just when Tom Brady went there and the receivers that he had and the lack of quarterback talent that Tampa Bay had just seemed to me much like Peyton Manning going to the Denver Broncos year one, year two. In year two, he had he had a record-setting season with an all-star cast of players. Now, he had to coach these guys, some of them like Demarius Thomas on how to run routes and where, you know, and to communicate at a higher level. Brady probably is doing some of that with the receivers he has, but I'd say that, I dare say, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are better receivers than what Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker were when they came in and adding Antonio Brown, I'm sorry, that's an upgrade to Wes Welker, especially now that we know that Antonio Brown has had a knee injury for the past couple of years and some issues that he needed to clear up. We, they still got Gronkowski who played well at the end of the season, you know, but last year, I mean, they had a bunch of obstacles that have like seemed to come leak out as the off season goes along. And Tom Brady quietly threw forty touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, where are you at? I mean, are you are you 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 were telling me he's the centerpiece of your draft plan. He's the centerpiece of mine. Yeah, at quarterback, 
um, he is the centerpiece. I have three targets and he is, he's the one I want, especially at the value you get him at. Um, but here's, here's my thoughts. Um, number one, it was a COVID off season, right? They didn't get to do the kind of install they would have normally done to, to develop the timing. Now I know Brady was with those receivers ahead of the season and, and, you know, he, he didn't let that stop, you know, the progress, but at the same time you had in the first, um, eight weeks, people forget, right. And people are, are really like banging on Mike Evans right now too, but people forget, like he had a late preseason, uh, I want to say it was, it was a grade two hamstring. If I remember correctly, it was hamstring for sure. I feel like it was grade two. I'd have to go back and look, but I know he was doubtful for doubtful for week one managed to suit up. And so he was battling that early in the season. And then he picked up, um, an ankle injury that, slowed him down that if and some were speculating was a high ankle sprain so i mean the guy had two pretty serious injuries right to begin the season um and he really got up and got going at the end of the season the other part is you had chris godwin miss four of the first eight games you didn't have antonio brown in the first eight games because he was still suspended and so if you look at brady you know he averaged 273.6 yards per game 7.1 yards per attempt over the first eight weeks battling all of those obstacles then as the team came together from week you know, nine on, he averaged 305.5 yards passing a game. His yards per attempt is the really telling thing. Jumped up to 8.1 yards per attempt over the last eight. So, I mean, that extrapolates to almost 5,000 yards in a 16-game season. Now you're looking at a 17-game season. Um, he, the other thing is the Bucks, man, they went heavy pass in the last eight. And at surface level, what people will say is, well, they were trailing more, and so that just dictated it. Yeah, that is true. And they, they threw the ball 8.2% more of the time over the second eight games versus the first eight. But what's interesting to me is they threw more in every scenario, Matt. So in close games, meaning the game was within three points, they threw the ball 2% more than they did in the first eight games. In games with a lead, so four points or more leading, they that and this is really telling, they threw the ball 3% more when they were leading. And then when they were trailing, they threw the ball 5, 5% more. And so there's still nuance to those data points and those numbers, um, you know, depending on game script. You know, not every trailing script is equal. Not every leading script is equal. Those things, And depending on what time in the game that happens. Those, those, so there's still ways you can slice that data even further. But heuristically, like, that's kind of the shortcut. If, if they were up in every scenario, especially when leading and when close, that's really all you need to know. And you can throw the trailing out. Right. And, and so they were up across the board. Their identity is to be a passing team. And I'll tell you right now, I know this is narrative, but I think that Bruce Arians and Tom Brady want to destroy the league. I think both of them are kind of a chip on their shoulder kind of people. Um, and they just want to go show like what they can do. I think Arians has never got the full credit, you know, that he probably deserves as a coordinator. Um, and, and, you know, Brady, you know, that's just Brady's mentality. So, I'm I'm all over it. And I think it's kind of funny because there are really sharp minds out there just saying to fade Brady just because of the rushing yards you can get from other quarterbacks. And I agree. Rushing yards are a cheat code. And I and I have another quarterback that's in my centerpiece that if you miss Brady, this is who you take. But I'm not passing Brady to take that player. Um, if Brady is there um, and I know we're, you know, we're kind of mixing fantasy and reality NFL here. But if Tom Brady you know, is there in the ninth round, 10th round, I'm taking him every single time. And depending on how I've built the front of my roster, sometimes I'm even willing to take him in the eighth. You know, so for example, if I've already got Evans or if I've already got 
uh, you know, Antonio Brown or one of these other players, which Antonio Brown goes right around that spot. So Godwin's the one I've typically been targeting the most, but I'm all over it. I love it. Yeah. If I'm, I'm laughing cause I'm in a, I'm in a draft right now. That's a keeper league and my keepers are Mahomes, lamb and, um, AJ Brown. Um, so it's been a pretty good team because I've, they're all late round keepers. So I have early picks too. So I was able to pick up Chubb and Dobbins as, as two of two of my first couple of picks though. I was mad cause I missed on Evans and I missed on Hopkins and I probably should have like taken one of them in the first round, but it, that's fine. Cause I have some depth at receiver I'm looking for, but if Tom Brady falls to me at the seventh, even in that league where it's a one quarterback league, I might just take him just to see what happens in that league because I'm confident in the depth that I can get and wouldn't mind having Mahomes and Brady off the board in that league because I think the the advantage that I would get points wise might be worth it. But um, but when you look at the 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 on field context to some of the data points that you brought up, let's remember that when you look at this team. Tom Brady, what makes him great is pre-snap adjustments. And that means, much like Tom Brady, like um, Peyton Manning, they diagnose the defense pre-snap. They want their receiver to be on the same page with them. And there's usually certain option routes that the receiver and the, the quarterback will be on the same page with. And when you have option routes, it's not a signal. Tom Brady's not like you know, scratching his forehead and saying, you're going to run this route. Sometimes that will happen, but most often with an option route, it's just that, do you see what I'm seeing? You better be seeing what I see. And and when you, if this happens, you need to run this route. And, or if there's an adjustment he does give that's a more of a verbal or a nonverbal adjustment, it's for a specific route type. Well, guess guess who guess what came late for Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski last year was adjusting to what the Buccaneers system was doing. They talked about it mid-year is that the certain calls or certain nonverbal calls that they had were for different types of routes. So they weren't on the same page. They were trying to learn the, you know all of this and there's only so much you can do in a in a public park before you're chased off, you know, in the summer due to COVID restrictions, and when you're operating during camp, when defenses are, you know, you're only going to have so many scenarios that a defense is going to throw at you because they're learning a game plan. Their stuff is rather vanilla to a certain extent, and so you know, a lot of this has to come with in-game rapport. So now Brady's had a year of in-game rapport. He's had a year to really learn. He said he didn't even know the playbook until about halfway through the season, like really understood it to the level that he needs to. And the level that he needs to is why he's one of the best quarterbacks ever is to be able to know things at that level. Like Peyton Manning, you have to have their field generals in that way from the conceptual part of the game. So the fact that now he's learning that, now Antonio Brown has been there full off season. They've all been able to practice together for a full off season and they're all healthy. That's that's one argument. The second argument is that this team doesn't run the ball very well. And talking to John Ledyard earlier this week, we did a show on Giovanni Bernard and why he's a sleeper and you don't want to sleep on him because 
literally this team is leaning and it came out later this week. Bruce Arians said Giovanni Bernard's going to be a major part of this offense. And the the reason is even just looking at the run game, you know, Jay Moore, another Jay Moyer, Matt Waldman favorite is probably is Gio Bernard. And just from appreciating him on film, because he's a smart interior running back in terms of working between the tackles. He's just never been used that way because the Bengals wanted a big back. They've always liked big backs. So Bernard really didn't get used to the extent that he did. I know it was Jay who would say, just lament that Bernard isn't a New England Patriot because he would make James White look like, um, you know, a mid-grade, you know, scat back in the league compared to how good White, I mean, White's a really good back. So here he is in this situation, again, with a quarterback who makes a lot of adjustments pre-snap. Bernard is very good at that aspect of the game. It was one of his strengths coming out of school in terms of, you know, running routes, um, lining up and being able to block. Um, they're using him, John Lendiard said that he's. they're using him almost specifically as the red zone back. Um, you know, like that he he's had more touchdowns in practice than Antonio, than anyone but Antonio Brown. He's He's literally being used in pretty much every f- alignment and formation in the red zone in practice um, because they can split them out. They can run them between the tackles. They can use him outside, uh, use him out of the backfield as a back, as a back, and he's their best blocker. And on top of that, because he's so patient and he's tough to get a location on because of his low center of gravity um, as a back, they run a lot of duo. And duo is a tight crease running play. Leonard Fournette's not good at duo. Ronald Jones is probably Tevin Coleman competent at duo, meaning that he's he's getting better, but it's not his forte. And Bernard is the most patient, efficient back who can manipulate on the roster. Um, and because he can kind of squeeze between those tight creases, like... You know, Ledyard said he's, they're not going to get a ton of yards as runners necessarily. Your big game guy is going to be Jones because he breaks tackles and he's fast and he's semi-competent in the zone schemes. Um, but Fournette may be the the odd man out in this offense. That's what he's saying, and I'm I'm with him. That's so, what I have it as too. I, I'm not drafting Fournette if you're a fantasy player at all yeah, this me season. Um, I, I do worry that he and Jones end up in this hot hand thing. But I think Geo takes over all of the two-minute offense. I think Geo takes over all of the long down and distance stuff. And I think basically you have first and second down left. And yeah. if it's, you know, less than seven yards. And that's what I think Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones will be splitting. And that's okay. There are far more first and second downs than there are, right, these other situations we're talking about. Um, but I honestly, for fantasy, I'm just avoiding the backfield unless it's a late pick on Geo. And that's exactly where I'm at. And it's also because, think about it this way, one of the problems that, one of the reasons that, that Ledyard said that Brady was throwing, or that the Bucks were throwing as much as they were, was part of it was that they couldn't run the ball as well as they needed to on an efficiency standpoint, or that they weren't being able to make adjustments that they needed to. And so Brady was getting sacked more often than you would expect, I guess. From the, And I haven't looked at that data, but... The thing is, is that there were more long down and distance situations than they had last year or in the, in the previous years. And they were throwing more out of that. So do I expect them to run more this year? A little bit. 
but not so much. This is a passing offense, and I think they just have a more expanded playbook with shorter down and distance situations, which puts them in an ideal situation to force the defense to account for things where they can line up and run based looks and then look at the defense and then change the change the alignment and shift and with a run based personnel. And Brady's and always loved that. Like they yeah. did that in New England. They'd come out in 12, 21, motion people wide, and then the very next drive they'd have they'd be in three wide. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it'd be James White in the backfield. So I expect to see plenty of it. I mean, as far as sack rate, like they were the fourth best in the league. Um, Brady's just, he's hard to sack. You yeah. know, he, he doesn't take sacks. He's too smart. He gets the ball out quick when he needs to. And it's, it's what you talk about, all the pre-snap adjustment stuff. Yeah, it's just, they just had more down, long down and distant situations than that they were used to. And I think some of that just had to do with adjustments. So, yeah. I mean, to give you an idea, he was, at, he was sacked 3.7% of the time. Uh, whereas Eagles quarterbacks were sacked 9.1% of the time they drop back. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and they have, and they actually had two of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league who get yards with their legs, at least, you know, at least on Yeah, paper. now they had a ton of, obviously the Eagles had a complete rotating door at offensive line last sure. year. They were the worst. The league average is 5.7% sure. um, sacks per drop back. You know, so yeah. Brady was fourth best in the league at 3.7%. Ahead of him is Patrick Mahomes at 3.6%. The Colts, because of a really good offensive line and Rivers getting the ball out quick, 3.6%. And then number one, because a super quick release in the short passing game was Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers at only 2.1%. Yeah, and they they were just wonderful last year. So, but uh, but yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's true. I mean, that that makes total sense. But you know, we're looking at Brady and Brady. When we, when you're looking to win in competitive leagues, you, you're gonna want somebody who probably is going the opposite direction than what the majority of experts are telling you. Um, you know, you, I I think sometimes, and I think Tom Brady has the potential to be that guy with a high enough floor that you're not going to fail on him. Even if you pick him, you know, if you let him fall to you at the seventh, eighth, ninth round, you know, and he gets you, you get him there. You could wind up w with a guy who gives you that, that points advantage at a position where there's usually not a points advantage. Yeah. And just to hit on what you were, uh, I'll just pull it up real quick. Like, because you have me curious now, like over the first eight games versus the last eight games, what they, yeah, so on over the first eight games, um, the Bucks had 176 plays of second down and seven or longer. So second down, third down, fourth down, and over seven yards to go. They had 176 plays of that nature over the first eight games. And like, just to make sure I'm like doing this fair, I'm gonna exclude over time. This is the awesomeness of pro football focus. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so they were first in the league. You take out overtime, 176 plays over the first eight games where they were in second down and seven yards or more, meaning those you're behind and down in distance once that happens. Um, so they had the highest schedule. rate? Yeah, now let me yeah. redo that and take off those first eight games. Let's see here. Yeah. Wow. Uh, where'd they go? Drop down to 159, which was, was below the league average. So they went from being first in the league in those plays. So that's what he's, that's what he's talking about. The running game on first down was killing them. 
Yeah. And they stopped. They started probably started throwing more on first down. We could spend forever looking at these numbers, but yeah, obviously, and, and John knows what he's talking about um, as, as usual. But yeah, that definitely was a factor. Um, so they, they moved away from, uh, they changed things up. Yeah. Because of the efficiency. So that's, that is very interesting. So needless to say, there's a lot of compelling data points as to the, behind the argument that Tom Brady's and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could be in for a record year. Um, at worst, they'll be in for a more efficient year, which means that if he throws 40 touchdowns and, threatens 5,000 yards, um, it shouldn't be a surprise for you. If, you know, but at the same time, I think the expectation is closer to, you know, 5,300 yards, you know, 50 touchdowns. I think that's like, I think that's more likely as an upside or a ceiling. And I don't have it as a ceiling. That's where I have them. I've met 5,360 yards and, um, and 50 touchdowns. And the other thing is, while the deep arm didn't go away, his velocity a little bit did. According to someone who, um, the Pewter Report, I don't remember who the writer is, sorry, I can't credit you here, um, but the one of Pewter Report's staff interviewed a quarterback coach and talked about how Brady's going to like, you know, based just looking at practices, Brady's getting more velocity on the ball right now because of the fact that his knee's more stable. He can get all the cleats in the ground and generate more torque. And you're going to see a little bit more velocity on some of those intermediate routes, those timing routes. So real quick, I pulled it up while you were talking. Uh, 57% of the time they passed on first down over the second, over the last half of the season. They only passed 46% of the time on first down over the first eight games. Yeah. So. They, they wanted to run the ball last year. I mean, I think they really, I think they wanted to run the ball and, and, and part of that well, they should just stick with the Evans. second eight yeah yeah <laughs> because when you have tom brady and these receivers i, I yeah. you know basically you just need to keep teams respecting the run i don't think yeah. you even need to really be that good at running you just need teams to know that they have to account for it and i think they can do that and they can do that with bernard because bernard's like james white but again better in the better as a Is runner it? So you think there's a chance like Bernard like even just takes on a bigger role than what we think? Like literally he could be out there maybe half the time? I'm I'm right now I'm projecting <laughs> if so we should be drafting Gio Bernard. Yeah, we should probably go do we should probably talk about our projections. We probably should. I, I'm anxious to hear what you have. Like Bernard, now. I don't have but, that high, but I'll say okay. this. I have him at a combined range of outcomes though. So, yeah, I've been at a right now I've been at a combined seven hundred yards from scrimmage with six touchdowns. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I'm too low. So, you know, and that's, and that's basically on 83 attempts rushing and four and 63 targets receiving, um, giving Fournette 100 carries and Jones 168 carries. And I think I'm lo- possibly on the low end. I mean, that's 14, nine, I'm at 14, uh, 14.9% of the touch touches, um, overall. Um, and, you know, 19% of it is the run. It'll be 19% of the run game and 13% of the passing game of the, of the backs, or at least from, you know, so. Yeah. I've got, <clears throat> I've got Ronald Jones at half the carries, mostly based on I anticipating what being the main guy for first and second down with Fournette sprinkling in. Um, so I've got Jones for 213 carries, 950 yards, seven rushing touchdowns. 
but only 13 targets in the passing game, eight receptions, 50 yards, no touchdowns. Then I've got Fournette at 35% of the carries at the 150 uh, for basically 600 yards, four yards per attempt. Um, I've got him at seven rush, 6.7 rushing touchdowns. So call it seven. Got him at 20 targets, 16 receptions for 100 yards and one receiving touchdown. Then I've got Geo at 7% of the rushing attempts. So that's 30 carries. So Fournette, so just on percentage, I had 50% to Jones, 35% to Fournette, 7% to Geo Bernard. And so I've got Bernard at 119 yards rushing, but I'm closer to you on targets. I've got him at 11% of the targets. I think you said 13. I've got him catching 80% of those balls. So that's 58 receptions. Um, I've got him at 375 yards receiving uh, with three receiving touchdowns. So, I mean, we're actually, we're, we're pretty close because you were at 9% on the ground. I'm at yeah. 7% and then 13% on targets. I'm at 11. Um, but when I do my rankings, I probably have him positioned similarly to you. It's like once, um, you know, like Naheem Hines is gone and I put him right there with James White. Like I have them both. It's kind of like break glass in a case of emergency. I need a fourth back that can score points on bye weeks. Or if I'm in a best ball, like my starter gets hurt. Like, and I just, and it's a PPR, half PPR league. Like I'm happy to have those guys on my team because I'm typically not drafting, especially in best ball. I mean, I'm not drafting six yeah. or seven running backs. I'm usually only drafting. I try to just draft four and hit the receivers. But um, so, but I'm, I'm going to go back and look at this again because I think I may be, and I was asking myself through this and I didn't, you know, how normally I'll do the, the uh, projection spectrum on these players. I didn't do one on Geo and I may need to, which is really just where I do my range of outcomes. Yeah. And I, I model it based off of how often I think they'll be in certain situations and what I think the roles are. So if, for example, the Bucks go high tempo, which they didn't do a ton last year, they didn't run a lot of two minute offense. And they're going to um, do that now that they're familiar I'm wondering that too, because that is definitely in the past been part of Brady's arsenal. When he feels that he's got an advantage on the field, he has complete autonomy, I believe, to just jam the accelerator. Like basically yeah. the coach just, if that happens, and, and I think basically the conversation between him and the coach is, if you see something you like and they're stuck in a bad personnel group or you think somebody's tired, I don't even need to call plays. Like you yeah. just go, like he can basically do it all on his own. Um, and so I, I'm with you. I feel like I probably have their two minute offense too low, um, more towards like what they were last year and just rethinking through this, which would also bump Brady up potentially even a little bit more. What do you have for them, Matt? Um, as far as like, if we zoom back out real quick at yeah. the team level, yeah. what do you have like as far as pass plays versus rush and, and how many plays do you have on that? Yeah, I have the, I have the bucks at 62% pass 38% run. I have, um, in terms of pass plays, I have, let's see, run totals, 417 run, um, and 680 in terms of attempts. Passing attempts. Yeah. Yeah, I've got 656 passing attempts, 425 rushing attempts. But I've, and I'm, I'm in the same spot. I have 61% passing attempts, 39% rushing attempts. Uh, but as far as pure pass plays, right, I have it 62-38. So a pass play could also equal a sack or a scramble, which Brady doesn't scramble much. But once you yeah. put sacks in there, it's 62%, 38%. You take the sacks and scrambles out at 61-39 on pure attempts. So we're really close. I'm yeah. at 656-425, and you were what, 684-15-ish? Yeah, something around there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. so we're really close on that. Yeah, I mean, like for me, I have Bernard – 
between Travis Etienne and Trey Sermon just below, like three or four backs below Naheem Hines. So I'm in the same range That's as you. Okay. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is the more I look at this, the more, especially with Aaron's, Aaron's confirming what Ledyard said, that he's going to be a major part of the offense. Um, I have Fournette too high at 100 rushing attempts, 396 yards, and four touchdowns. Because I have I, Fournette at 150 attempts. Yeah. 150, so I'm... I think Fournette's getting phased out. I honestly think that he's going to be... he Because I have Jones at 168, 828, and seven touchdowns closer to you. Fournette, I have at 14 receptions off of 24 targets. Jones, 21 targets, 11 receptions. But Bernard, I'm like, Bernard, I think I need to be higher. And I don't have him so high in the reception department just because I think they have so many great weapons in the receiving game. But I yeah. think he's going to be You're going to own Geo where you have him. You're going to own Geo basically in every league you're in. If, if, if it's you know not a dynasty league where yeah. you have the opportunity to draft him. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing. It's like, he's, he's got like a hidden ceiling. I don't think it's, I don't think his high ceiling is going to happen unless receivers start getting hurt. Like if, if, you know, the, the more receivers that get hurt, the better Geo Bernard's going to be like Bernard's going to be going to give you that James White, Dion Lewis, white running back one PPR upside if one or two of those receivers or tight ends get hurt and they and they need a guy who they're going he's going to need to rely on the short passing game a little bit more um where maybe a guy like Miller doesn't fill in as well in the short passing game or Tyler Johnson doesn't fill in as well or Jalen Darden who's looked great but maybe has to adjust a little bit more to the on-field regular I got Darden in both Dynasty Leagues. Yes. Partially because I am a North Texas grad, so and he's free. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I got him in all three of my Dynasty Leagues, and so I've got him on my practice squad. I've drafted all those teams. They're in my rearview mirror, and Jalen Darden is on all of them. I feel like he's the guy that when Antonio Brown moves on that can really be someone that can Without play all a over doubt. the field. Without a doubt, and he's been one of the stars of camp. So it's worth noting that's another guy Ledyard has written a, a lot about, as well as other people. He's done very well against in my press best, coverage. In, in my best ball leagues, um, and I'm not advising people to do this, but in deeper best ball leagues where you have 28 rounds, um, not your 20 rounds, but when you go 28 rounds and when I get Brady, Darden's often my last pick. Yeah, yeah. I think he's and, – and it makes total sense. Just because if the injury happens – you know, even if it's just for three weeks that he plays and you get a spike week out of him for a hundred yards, because Brady will do that. Like he'll 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 drop a hundred yards to Scotty Miller. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like he he doesn't he goes where the defense tells him that he should go with the ball. Yeah. I mean that he he's that's the way he plays the game. Well what what do you have Brady at? Because like I gotta yeah. I wanna hear this. <laughs> 650 <laughs> attempts, 426 okay. completions. Okay, 60, we're almost exactly the same there, so I okay. don't need to say anything. 65-5 completion percentage, 5,360 yards with an 8.25 yards per attempt, 50 touchdowns, that's 7.7% of his attempts, 7 interceptions, 30 rushes, 25 yards, and 3 rushing touchdowns because Tom runs it and if Bernard's going to be in the backfield Tom's going to sneak some so he's going to get a few yeah how many touchdowns did you have Matt passing um 50 <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god yeah so i have uh we're really close i've got 656 attempts uh sorry uh 433 uh completions that's at a 66 percent completion rate um i have met seven and a half yards attempt that's 400 that's 4920 yards receiving i haven't met 39 touchdowns that's a six percent touchdown per attempt clip uh, and I'm with you, and I wrote about this in my piece, that the cool thing about Brady um, versus the rushing quarterbacks is he's still not a complete zero because what he does in the hurry up down around the goal line and the quick snap. Even if they're not in hurry up, they as soon as they have a big play, if they get inside the two-yard line, he'll immediately run the hurry up while the defense has the small personnel on the field, and he'll sneak it in. And so he's really good at that. So I, I, I love that. Now, my range of outcomes – um, on Brady, right? If we just look at, you know, his yards per attempt and you bump that to eight, he jumps to 4,250 yards. I think eight yards per attempt is so achievable for Tom Brady this year. And I only have him at 7.5 right now. So you could even split the difference um, and put him at 7.75. I think his low end is seven and a quarter, which I think would be really hard for him to get to. I, I think you could see a season where he gets to like eight and a quarter. Um, I'm at 6% uh, touchdowns per attempt, you know, and Brady's done that multiple times in his career. But if he has the kind of smash here where say he does what like Aaron Rodgers last year, who just went insane with his efficiency two years ago or three years ago, Patrick Mahomes went insane with his efficiency. And you see these elite quarterbacks and Russell Wilson's done it. Like every so many years, they'll have this eight percenter, this nine percenter on their touchdown per attempt rate. And I don't ever predict it but I put it as a higher probability for certain players and Brady's one of those. And so if he got to 8%, not 9%, if he got to 8%, that would be, that would be 52 touchdown passes, right? Which is what you have him at right now. I have him at seven, um, seven at 50. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you look at Tom Brady, Oh my God, I hate when I do this query. It, isn't it crazy that if I do a, if I do a query just for Brady, I always, and I've tweeted about this because it's kind of funny, I think, is that I have to always remember there's this other Brady named Brady Quinn. And so when I just, <laughs> when I just type in Brady, I get two opposite ends of the spectrum in my, in my screen. And one of them is just totally annoying and I want them to go away. Sorry, Brady Quinn. I know you're a human being and I really do love you, but I just don't want to see you right now. Um, he was so an like, aggressive let me... bench press quarterback yeah, he was and he's a he's, and he's a good I think he's a decent commentator I don't know so I think he's yeah he so touchdowns per attempt like if we look at Brady's career last year he was at 6.6 percent um he's been over he's been over six percent multiple times in his career he got to 7.3 percent and two point uh sorry in 2010 he got to 8.7 percent um in 2007 a super young Tom Brady was at uh, 8.7% touchdowns per attempt. So I've got him more in line um, with where he, anytime he's had three solid receiving options, he's been upwards of 6%. That's the gist. I won't make it. We, we've got to go to another team. I mean, we still have to hit the receivers here. Uh, Matt, we're, we're off to a really good start here. Uh, but if he hit those, if we hit those things, 430 yards, I mean, 430, God, 429 fantasy points. Like if he hit those thresholds, um, that we just talked about. And so, I mean, yeah, there's an upside and that's what's funny, right? Um, when you hear people talk about upside, um, the thing that drives me most nuts about it right now in today's fantasy football community um, is it only seems to tie to young players. Yeah. There can be upside with older players. Um, that's, and I'm not saying it's all of them. Like there are a lot of older players that I do just fade 
and I take them as guys that hopefully can, can get me through a few weeks early in the season later in drafts because I hope that my upside players that I took earlier can then have a chance to sit on my bench a little bit and then kick in down the stretch. But Tom Brady, you shouldn't apply those rules to. There are players you shouldn't apply those rules to arbitrarily. And that's my, that's my issue and why I love coming on a show like this um, because you're thinking about football. You're yeah. not just thinking about numbers and it helps balance me as well. Like honestly, cause I can bend more towards the data. So that's why I love like having conversations with you and with Jay um, and people that stay close to the roots of what football is. And, and, and so, and you make such a great point about this because, and again, I mean, a lot of the people, a lot of the fantasy industry is young. A lot of the, you know, and I know that sounds like, well, what connection is there to that? But part of it too is, quarterback is a difficult position to understand anyway and it's a very difficult one to analyze and what people forget is that the quarterbacks the game slows down more for the quarterbacks the older they get so they actually see the game better and better as they age it's just that so when you get a guy who's actually healthy enough and can still throw the ball accurately and well at the age that Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers are Peyton Manning were at a certain point you want to exploit that because these are guys that can still have the physical skills to play the game and they are seeing the game at a high they're processing the game at a higher level and and this narrative by the way kept you from taking brady last year in the 13th or 14th round you yeah. know the narrative of old and remember last year it was he can't throw down the field anymore well guess what everybody last year as far as throws that were within the framework frame of the receiver right? Meaning they didn't have to make an adjustment for it. Tom Brady was 10.3% above the NFL average on throws over 20 <laughs> yards. On throws of 10 to 19 yards, his accuracy was 13.1% above the NFL average. Zero to nine yards, 6.6% above the NFL average. So it's, sorry, 1.8% on that one. Um, his pinpoint throws were 6.6%, what you would call them, which for a pro football focus, we call those, you know, just if you isolate down just to pure accurate throws, meaning the receiver was hit perfectly in stride, had to make no sort of adjustment, 6.6% above the NFL average. Oh, by the way, on pinpoint throws over 20 yards, he was also 10.3% above the NFL average. So the guy destroyed everything. He ranked number one in pinpoint throws, accurate plus percentage is what we call it at PFF, number one in the NFL yeah. And and if you're and if you're someone that didn't have access to all that data, you know, you could just watch him pin thread the ball to Scotty Miller and make Scotty Miller look like an all pro whenever Miller was on the field, because some of the throws that he laid in there, if Miller dropped him, he would not be on the team. I mean, it was and they were tight coverage, difficult play looking plays. And he made Miller look like a look like a guy that should be on the field every down. Um, so. I mean, there are other players as well, but I mean, that's great analysis, Dwayne. And I mean, I don't know about you. We don't need, we could go into the receivers if you want to, or we could go on. Can, to you, the can, next can one. we hit them just real quick? Because sure. I feel like there's the same narrative going on here. Okay. Uh, I've seen it um, multiple times now with that folks should be fading Mike Evans. Mike Evans is a fade. And so I just want to throw one thing out there. Even if we don't go through the projections for sure. all the players, I'm okay with that. Remember what I talked about. And context matters. Evans was hurt for the first eight games. 
Chris Godwin was hurt, didn't play for four of the first eight games. Antonio Brown wasn't on the field in the first eight games. Over the last, and I get this, you hear people also, super, super stat people are like, stop, you know, um, doing different sample sizes. It's wrong. Here's the way I look at sample sizes is context matters. In this example, we have a set of eight games where there's clearly many different factors going on that are different than the last eight games which is the, the health of the players, right? And the last eight games, they're all healthy and they play together, except for Mike Evans. Uh, and Evans was healthy, but he ba they basically didn't want to use him in week 17 because they wanted to get Antonio Brown his, uh, his bonus. Tom Brady you know, wanted to make sure Brown got, got paid and you, know, you got to keep Antonio Brown happy. We know this. Um, but if you look at that, and this is even though Evans hardly played week 17, the target shares for the team were 22% to Mike Evans, 18% to Chris Godwin, 17% to Antonio Brown, 13% to Gronk, 9% to Fournette, 7% to Brait, and 5% to Scotty Miller. So for all the people saying fade Mike Evans, when this team was finally healthy, finally clicking, he was the lead target on the team. And I think I expect him to be that again. I really do like Chris Godwin, you know, as well. And he gets to play in the slot most of the time. So I think they're all going to be pretty close in target shares. I just don't like this narrative of, of fade Mike Evans. And I feel like it's basically because he's old. Yeah. Like, I, he's 29 though. He's not 35. He's 29. Yeah. He turns 29 this season. He's not 35 years old. He's still in his prime. Hopkins is kind of getting treated similarly um, where people now are saying, no, I want Justin Jefferson. I'm, we don't even have to talk about that. And I love Justin Jefferson, but people just say, I want CD lamb over Deandre Hopkins. Like I love CD lamb, but fine, go ahead. Just leave Deandre Hopkins yeah. for me. I'll take the 150 targets that are guaranteed. You can hope CD lamb gets to that. Yes. Um, but I'll just take the 150. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on Evans and, and, and Hopkins all the way. Evans is leading this club in yards. He's leading this club in touchdowns this year, in my opinion. It, it was all due to injury. He was He's in great shape this year. They're saying he's having the best camp he's ever had. Um, Just remember, guys, what Randy Moss did with Tom Brady. I'm not saying Mike Evans is Randy Moss, but he's close. He's closer than he's as close he's as close than what that Brady's had since Randy Moss. That's for yes. sure. So if he just. <laughs> Even if even if this ball is really spread around like we think it's going to be, and we've seen this with Arians' offenses, you don't get a target hog typically, you know, um, whenever there's good talent available. But man, he could hit. He could all of a sudden be a 16 yards per reception guy and score 12 or 15 touchdowns. That's where I'm at. And you're going to be laughing all the way to the bank. That's you're going to laugh all the way to the bank. That's where I'm at. That's exactly where I'm at. So. You know, we'll leave it to that. We'll leave some mystery yeah. to this because we, this was a good, this was a very good topic because I think most people, again, a lot of smart people are fading, you know, these, these players. And we've given you context for why if you, if you're playing with people who follow those folks, and a lot of you are, um, you may want to go that opposite range because at the at worst you're going to wind up with a competent starting quarterback and a good team. It's not like you're it's not like we're saying pick Hakeem Butler in the first round. You know, it's <laughs> it's not like that. So you're in a better situation in terms of where you're going from there. So moving forward, let's go to the LA Rams cuz you know, we got Matthew Stafford, we've got we got Sean McVay, who I tend to be a little bit of a bully about in the media now lately, in, in you know, in my little corner of the world, because 
I, I get this. I've been hearing a little bit that McVay tends to treat his players a little bit more like video game control. You know, like he's the video game guy with the video game controller and the players are basically pixels on a screen. Um, but, um, and, and maybe he doesn't always use them the way that he needs to use them, but he uses them the way that he envisions his offense to be used. And he's a fine offensive mind without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but his bet is, you know, Jared Goff, I was his puppet master. If I put in Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford's going to be great in this offense by comparison. Whereas McVay, though, seemed just even till last year was defending Goff like a maniac for years. And then, you know, but they pinned that Super Bowl on him, on Goff when it was McVay who would not adjust. They pinned the bad run game on Gurley, but it was McVay who would not adjust to an offense, to a defensive scheme that literally high schools run. And all you needed to do was start running some gap plays. You needed to like change, change what you do. Now, again, as we've talked about managing and coaching football is very difficult. It's something we were talking about before the show. And it's a very difficult job. And saying all you have to do is change your rushing scheme is kind of like saying all you have to do is turn that battleship in the middle of the Pacific on a hairpin. But, you know, there's a difference between making that turn and say when someone falls overboard and decide that you need to start making that turn now and waiting nine weeks to make that turn. Um, and, you know, suddenly that guy's no longer where you, you thought they were going to be. And instead there's a, a fairly plump tiger shark somewhere out there. Um, so <laughs> I or mean, the orca or the orca hunting, hunting the, the uh, great white. Exactly. Exactly. The orca's already eaten the great white that's eaten the man, <laughs> you know, there you go. So, you know, now that we're at this point, you know, this is an exciting offense. Cat makers, though, out for the year. You know, everyone pretty much knows that. Um, but what are what are some of your thoughts on the changes here? Do you think it's going to automatically be, be better? Do you think Matthew Stafford's going to wind up having to deal with the puppet master and say, you get up the line of scrimmage and pull his scissors out of his sock and like start cutting the strings a little bit you know after the first few games realizing that maybe McVay's a little heavy-handed with some stuff or do you think McVay's going to leave him alone now that he's got his man I, I think it's going to be a blend of the two I, I expect I we've seen McVay in my opinion adapt some you know over the last you know couple of years since the Super Bowl um, I think he's introduced new concepts in the run game it's to your point it's hard to do mid-season um and because you've already you've already installed everything and it's you know basically once you're in season if people don't know it's small tweaks right you're not making a drastic change now if you practice things in the preseason that give you flexibility to pull that out of your hat later um then you can do that but once it comes time to get ready for a game there's really and this is where bill belichick is a master is that his team can be such a chameleon. It's amazing to me how many different things he can get out of a team versus most other coaches. He's just on a completely different plane, which tells you Bill Belichick, like his genius, who knows? Like, I don't have a way to grade this yet, but he's obviously a great coach, period. But his biggest genius may be his operational efficiency of the way he stands up his team and gets them prepared to be able to be anything he needs them to be during the season. 
And I think that has a lot to do with the type of players that he also gravitates to. He seems to gravitate a lot towards high intelligence, right? An ability to adapt and learn quickly about things, which gives him the flexibility as a coach to just do what he thinks he needs to do to win a certain game. And can um, I add one little quick thing? They're, sure. They also tend to be a lot cheaper, which kind of speaks to this idea that the high-end athlete um, that people are drafting um, – they that seems to be less flexible in the way that teams use them and here's a guy who's operating on the margins and even if you look at randy moss and you go back to bill belichick's comments about randy moss and you, if you haven't read them you should just go google bill belichick randy moss he says he was one of the smartest play you know players he's ever played you know he ever coached he wasn't just a great player he was also he, randy moss understood all the subtleties of the receiver game which put him and tom brady on a different plane back to what you were talking about earlier the ability for them during the play to know both know the same thing when they saw it and that gave them an advantage over the defense that isn't seeing the same thing and, and it changes everything and that's where uh, to your point around mcveigh i think that's where there is a lot of subtlety that people and even around athletic scores versus non is it's hard to grade these things. It's hard to put numbers on them. Yeah. So I think people shy away from them. When I say what I feel is you have to embrace them, even though we may not be able to specifically put a letter grade on them. I think you have to be willing, you know, to still embrace it and just understand that there are things some players are doing, even though we can't grade it, but we know that others are not, and you have to give them credit for it. And I think Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, those type of people are great examples. But back to the Rams, um, I do expect Matt Stafford to have a huge year. And I expect Sean McVay's scheme to help him. But but I and I also expect McVay to adapt to, to what Stafford needs. But I think there is something to I, and I like what you said about the video game thing and, and it <laughs> I think it is it can be somewhat true, right? And I think your analysis does hit home, but my thoughts are the things he does from a video game perspective are pretty awesome. They're not bad. So no. if you look at him, his his roots are still back to he's not just this pure analytics guy. He runs the ball more than what analytics would say, but he ties his entire passing game to his running game like the 49ers. Um, but he was the first one to really try to put a spin on it of doing it with three receivers instead yes. of doing it out of out of 21 personnel. Now the league's caught on to that, to your point. And there's there's a there's a price to pay for being in 11 versus being in 12 or 21 when the defense really thinks you're going to run and they want to stop it. Right. And, and so his adaptation to that is running more 12 personnel and he's adopted more gap style schemes that he's also more willing to run. So he's become more versatile in, in the different concepts they use in the running game. But the thing I love about McVeigh the most is I think he puts, I think he does what a coordinator should do. And I'm sorry, most coordinators in the NFL don't do this. And I, I really want to study this. This is like one of my big things for the off season. When I have time, I want to look deeper into this. And there's a lot of great foundational research that's already been done, but at the highest level, I think your job as an offensive coordinator should be to create mass as much confusion with the defense before the snap as you can to give your offense just that slight extra advantage that when the ball is snapped, the defense is much more, they're in a slightly more reactive mode than normal where they're having to account for something they haven't seen before. Um, so play action, right, is an easy one. McVay's always at the top of the league. 
um, you know, 31.1% play action. Um, that was 7% above the league average. He ranked fifth last year. Uh, if you look at the screen game, you know, just easy little yards you're giving your offense and the defense has to always account for it. So you're spreading the field wide, but you're also willing to spread the field deep. This is the wide part, right? And you can use it to set things up later, like Peyton Manning used to do, the old fake screen, and then he'd hit Julius Thomas down the seam for a touchdown, you know, and the defense is like, you know, they're like, whoa, it's like a scene from Top Gun, like where'd they go? Um, and then you've got shift in motion. So seventh in the league last year, that's plus 7% versus the NFL average. And then trick look, trick look meaning giving the defense some sort of emotion, some sort of a look that they're not used to that makes them think that, wow, this play has an oddity. You know, a constraint kind of play is what it's known in football. 24.6% of the time, McVay made a defense think about that. That's first in the league, and that's 16% above the NFL average. Bunch formations, giving your receivers clean releases, 46.5% first in the NFL, plus 16% versus the NFL. So I think he does a lot of things really well. Um, and I think those sort of things before the snap are going to help Stafford because he's going to see, I think Stafford's going to see passing windows that he's never seen in his life. Right. Now I think where Stafford comes into play and McVay's got to let him do this. And I think we're already seeing it. I'm seeing it in the preseason stuff. And I know some of it, people are just putting it on there because it's a highlight and it's a long throw. But I saw a play last week where Stafford, there was jet motion one way. He comes out, does a play action, looks to the guy in the flat. Deshaun Jackson comes all the way over the top of the defense, and, and Stafford just uncorks it, man. And, like, he's behind everybody. It's like a Mahomes to Tyreek Hill kind of throw. And you're just like, what the hell's going on? Like, I think those are the things that you wouldn't get from, from Goff that you're going to get from Stafford. He's going to be willing to not just just take – what's strictly in, inside the structure of the play. I think he's also going to be willing to be like, I'm looking for the kill shot more often. And I think that's where these two come together. And I think we're, that's where the test will be, Matt, because you know, with those plays will come some more turnovers. It's a, it's a, it's a risk reward trade-off. And so will McVeigh um, freak out, you know, when that happens, you know, or is he going to be more willing, you know, to say, you know what, Hey, that's okay. Because I know, the other three times that you make that play, we've got a we've got a shot at a game changing play. I think it's going to be the latter. He seems to, even though he does these video game coach things, in my opinion, he still seems to be a player's coach. The players seem to still like to play for him. They seem to be motivated by him. He seems to be the type of coach that wants to generally have a good relationship with his players, and he wants them to be happy. So, I again, I, I don't. I'm not inside the building, so you may have knowledge to that than me that that's me as an outsider looking in i'm not waiting that heavily in the way i'm thinking about these right but if i were to take a shortcut in my mind to what i think this offense could do it would be what did the chiefs look like before patrick mahomes with alex smith and andy reed versus what did it look like after and i'm not saying that's the average patrick mahomes but i feel like the field gets the defense has to res respect vertical passing and outside the structure plays way more than they had to before. And I think what happens is all these route combinations that have worked so, so well through the years um, for McVay, I think they all become deeper. So yeah. the, the five yard crosser turns into an eight yard crosser, right? Um, you know, the, the hook with a dig behind it 
turns into the the hook is at eight yards and now the digs at 12 to 13 yards instead of being at five and 11 like these concepts now all can go a level deeper in my mind and that's exactly what we saw with patrick mahomes andy reed's play concepts and designs were ended up being very similar they were just all at deeper levels of the field yeah um, based on mahomes and the explosion of Tyreek Hill onto the scene, which is why I think they went and got Deshaun Jackson. They drafted Tutu Atwell just to try to add a speed element to to that to the field. Now that they're going to have a quarterback that they feel can really uncork it. And I love where you bring up Mahomes because you're not the first. There are a lot of there are people I've you know when I'm watching games last year, there are commentators that say listen you know we're not we're not saying Matthew Stafford is Patrick Mahomes but some of those throws you see Mahomes make that people go nuts over Stafford's been making some of those throws for years you it's just that he doesn't have the level of stats and he's not doing it as much to the extreme that Mahomes is doing it um and Stafford is an unbelievable arm talent um so when you look at that that's great now the thing with McVay. I mean, again, you know, I've been critical of McVay. Like you've talked about with the screen game, I've joked. I'm like, if if he if one screen's successful, then he wants to run three in a row that won't run that won't work well. Um, you know, with him in certain game situations, and he can get heavy handed. But if you think about this, and this is a conversation Chris Brown and I kind of briefly had yesterday on Twitter, because Chris Fowler on ESPN was like. We think teams are going to catch up to Lamar Jackson. They're going to figure him out. And he's a sleeper for someone to have to be on the hot seat this year. And Chris Brown was like, um, figure out. Did they figure out Lawrence Taylor? Did they figure out Tyree Kill? Did they, you know, and I'm like, yeah, figuring out a player and ex- learning and knowing how to execute against said players and team are two totally different things. They figured out Lamar Jackson probably by mid-season of his second year, okay? Like, they figured out what can stop him. It's just, do they have the personnel to do it? And most teams don't. Um, and that's the that's the key. So when you look at McVay, I think that, like the, the Ravens, the Rams have a totally different offense, but it's based on simple looks. Like, it's, a, it's, the, it's simple but elegant. And so they do a lot of things, but it's all based on one simple type of package. So if you find if you find the weakness, you can make them look simplistic. And that's the problem is that when a team starts to look simplistic midway through because you've designed something to be so cohesive in its base look and now it's not working you know, everyone on the team gets frustrated because everyone knows, and and of course, everybody gets frustrated when things don't work on a team, environment, football or not. But what happens is your lower level frontline workers get upset and they're going, I know the simple solution. There's a simple solution to this, but we can't do anything about it because we've already, we're, we basically burned the boats after we got ashore here and we can't go back. You know, like you, as you pointed out, that they can't make those changes. So I think when you look at this team, when they do get exposed, they look simplistic. And it's a, and it can be very frustrating for that to happen. But when they're not exposed, it's very elegant 
you, you know, the way they're out there on that team. And I agree with you. That's a great point about Stafford. I have, I'm looking at him right now and I already realized that there's something that I needed to adjust in my projections. So I would tell my, my readers who get my projections that you need to add about five to six touchdowns to his total. Cause I have Matt Stafford at 30 touchdowns and that's too low. Um, I have him at 4,900 yards, but I've met 30 touchdowns. Um, and I think 30 touchdowns is still fine for where you can get him at, as an average draft position, but with a ceiling knowing that he could push for 40. Yeah. Um, and, and so remember McVay's offense is, is stylistically like, um, you know, from a, va- from a balance standpoint, it's still very rooted in they're going to run the ball more than some of the other quarterbacks you're going to be able to take ahead of Stafford. I would put Stafford more on the level of what I expect from Russell Wilson this year's, but minus the rushing, right? Yeah. Um, he's not going to get to drop back as much as Brady. He's not going to get to drop back, you know, as much as, uh, you know, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, a lot of these other players, obviously they're going ahead Herbert, yeah. of, of Herbert. Yeah. Now well, Herbert, uh, we'll Herbert, talk about yeah, later, that's a different story. but, but, but Stafford, um, you know, I expect his efficiency to be some of the best we've ever seen in his career. Yeah. And I think there's a chance for a spike season. Um, you don't just predict spike seasons because you don't know when they'll occur, but I think all the elements are right. Yeah. Um, he and Cooper cup are already best buddies. Robert Woods is the consummate underrated professional. Um, and anytime you just call somebody a professional, that means you're underrating them, <laughs> which I just did. You know? Robert, Robert uh, Woods. Robert Woods was my consolation prize to Mike Evans and DeAndre Hopkins that I took a, I ended up taking around later, you know, in this draft that we talked about earlier. I mean, again, to me, top 15 receiver possibly this year in fantasy with Stafford. So I have Stafford, um, 622 passing attempts. Well, zoom out real quick. I know people live, we get so many yeah. uh, tweets and responses about this. People like to hear the zoom out, like on the offense. So, this kind of goes back to how often will Stafford, you know, get to throw. Well, I've got 57% of uh, the attempts in the offense being pass and 43%, you know, being rushing attempts. I've got uh, 622 passing attempts, 465 rushing attempts. Um, that's 60-40 overall, all pass plays. Um, but once you take out sacks and scrambles, you know, it puts them at you know, 57 43, which is lower than what we just talked about with Brady, right? Which, which I had at 61 and 39, you had at 62 and 38. But if you look at the, where I've got Stafford overall, I've got his uh, passing yards, or I've got 622 attempts. I've got a 65% completion rate, but I've got eight yards per attempt. So that puts him at 4,977 yards in a 17 game season, 31 passing touchdowns. But to your point, that's only at 5% touchdowns per, per attempt. He could easily, in this offense, hit the 6% mark. That's 37 touchdowns. Yeah. That, that's that's where I, you're going to pick up your upside on Stafford. I don't think it's going to be in the passing yards. I think it's going to be what you just started. And it's funny. You nailed it. You knew right away where the upside was. It's in the touchdown passes. Yeah. Um, I don't see there being a shot for way more than 5,000 yards just because of the way the offense runs. Now, because it's it's hard to get much more efficiency than eight yards per attempt. Like, it's really hard. You don't see people get nine yards per throw. Now, he could get to 8.5 if, like, everything's going perfect. I mean, that would bump him to 5,200 yards. 
Um, I, I think there's a scenario here where, where Matt Stafford, you look up at the end of the year and you're like, holy crap, he's a top seven quarterback. And top this, eight. and I think I know where that, that dynamic exists and why I have him where I have him, because I'm similar to you. If we zoom out, 58.3% 3 pass for me, 41.7 run, 633 attempts total for the, the passing game, um, 452 rushing attempts, um, in in this facet and i have stafford at 605 attempts 390 completion 64.5 percent and at 4907 in terms of um receiving yards we're 70 yards apart that's it i'm at 8.11 yards per attempt fairly close just a little higher 30 touchdowns um and 12 interceptions at a 5% touchdown rate. And so, me too. Yeah. So, but when we're talking, I'm looking at this and going, yeah. But then I remembered, I remembered why, okay, maybe folks, you don't want to bump him up that, that high. His upside is close to Russell Wilson and my, in my rankings, in that just below Kyler Murray in that top four to four to six quarterbacks. But the reason is as great as Deshaun Jackson can be, how many games are you really counting on this guy to play? I have him at exactly. seven. And then then, then they got to supplement him with Tutu Atwell, who needs some sand in his pants. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I, you know, as good as Atwell might become for them on some level, Deshaun Jackson and Tutu Atwell are may look alike but they but that would be like saying and i'm not an astronomer so i really have no idea but you know it'd be like saying that pluto and venus look alike but and so they're therefore in the same you know in the same general area well if yeah if you travel galaxies then they're in the same general area but they're not in the same general area in the solar system that's for sure so um you know, you look at, you know, for those of you who think that the solar system exists, um, but, you know, that's just, an, that's another story. <laughs> but most of you, I think, who who listen to this do. So thankfully, you know, y'all are a kind of audience here. But Deshaun Jackson is in, when yes. when healthy, Deshaun Jackson has the, has, he and I believe Julio have the most seasons as fantasy wide receiver ones and wide receiver twos over the span of years, you know, receivers. We talk about consistency. It's because there's just more of them on the in your in your lineup. Because really, um, you know, repeat wide receiver ones in fantasy top twelve seasons, consecutive seasons. You don't see a lot of that from wide receivers in fantasy leagues. Mm -hmm. But Deshaun Jackson's had a ton of them. He's also just been hurt a ton and as he's gotten older. And since his time in Washington and moving forward, when he's on the field, he produces elite numbers. When he's not on the field, well, that's most of the time these days as he's gotten older. So if he can stay on the field, that's where Stafford gets that upside. And then, then after that, it has to be either Atwell being really better than advertised and from what mm -hmm. I've seen on film, he's fast, he can catch, but he's not a great route runner. Um, and he's not nearly as rugged of a player that Jackson is for their size, um, which is why Jackson gets hurt, I think, nowadays as he's getting older. So if that doesn't happen, then that means either Tyler Higby is like, you know, suddenly Kyle Pitts. And I think while he could have a Kyle Pitts-like season, he, you know, I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to have a... A Rob, uh, uh, 
Travis Kelsey-like season. So I think, you know, 700 to 800 yards is where Higby can be. That means that Robert Woods is now going to have to be the deep threat if, um, you know, if Deshaun Jackson doesn't stay healthy. That's the guy who's going to benefit when Jackson goes down because he's the one that can run the deeper routes and get separation. Van Jefferson isn't that guy. He's an over-the-middle, shorter guy or a mid-range, intermediate guy who can give you stuff in zone when someone else has stretched the field. But the deep vertical threat, the only guy who can give you that vertical threat um, you know, on a consistent basis, one-on-one, other than Jackson, is Woods. Cup is, again, more of a get-on-top-of-you-fast receiver um, who can give you some big plays. But again, it's the benefit of the play call as opposed to winning one-on-one. And a lot of NFL is winning one-on-one. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, what the way to think about the Rams receivers, again, like holistically, is imagine everything that was happening before and adding some efficiency on it. Mm-hmm. Because I think their yards their yards per catch is I, – I, I expect their yards per catch to go up because I expect the ball to travel further in the air before they catch it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I don't think run after the catch is going to change a lot. I think which they're good at creating looks to get run after the catch opportunities for the receivers in the scheme itself, but expect all of those to happen basically 2 to 3 yards deeper than what you saw last year besides the passes to the backs. Yeah. So I have um from a receiving standpoint, I've got um Woods and Cup basically right there together in targets, right around 20% each. I think that what their goal is going to be with Jackson is really to rotate him a lot, to try to keep him healthy. So I've only got him at 10%, you know, of the targets. Um, I've only got him at 36 receptions, but I've got it at 15 yards per reception, you know. So, I mean, still a chance for him to contribute, not so much to fantasy, um, but 550 yards is a nice chunk of change for an NFL offense, especially whenever he's commanding the respect, right, that he needs. But I think he'll rotate with Jefferson and Atwell and these guys to keep, you know, to try to keep him healthy. Now, who knows if they come out and explode in week one, like, like Deshaun Jackson did three years ago with Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, it's going to be hard for him to keep him off the field. And he could, to your point, like it could be like, well, we're just going to run with this until it runs out. Um, a lot of times coaches, it's hard to have the discipline to not just let it go as long as you can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once it happens, yeah. it's like like Sigmund says, the genie's out of the bottle. Like yeah. Once the genie's out of the bottle, it's hard to get the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And that can happen with Deshaun Jackson on week one. <laughs> yep. I would expect Deshaun Jackson could very easily be a huge pickup come week one, like oh. we've seen in the past, because he's not being drafted a lot. And you could easily see Matt 90 yards and two touchdowns. Like it could so easily happen yeah. right out of the gate with yeah. Sean Jackson. Without a doubt. And and here's the thing about Jackson. I mean, if you play DFS, you better be putting Sean Jackson in your lineups like weeks one through three or, or for as long as he's healthy um, in the early weeks because that's where it's all going to – that's where it's going to unfold. I'm with you similarly. Like I have Jackson at 70 targets, 37 receptions, 652 yards at seven at a at a whopping 17.62 yards per catch like i'm you know i again Dwayne's more disciplined with his projections and i tend to be but there's certain spots where i will i'm willing to go spike and that's why Dwayne Dwayne laughs when i talk about this because he knows like i'll go all in on certain players you know and like i'll be aggressive that way and so jackson is you know 
Jackson's my like Derrick Henry esque like go all in on that where you go high on something and you're like that shouldn't make sense but maybe it will work but like first few weeks I I expect you should go all in on Jackson and if it runs out on you it probably will but then like with Woods and Cup I'm similar to you I have him that Woods at 135 targets Cup at 130 targets Woods at 88 receptions Cup at 91. Woods at 1,189 yards with a 13.5 yards per catch average, bumping up closer to what he did when they had Brandon Cooks back in the day, stretching mm-hmm. the field. And then Cooper Cup at 12.73, just because I think, you know, he does get off the line of scrimmage faster than people realize. He's very quick off the line and he can get separation. I have Woods at seven touchdowns, Cup at nine touchdowns, because Cup is a great red zone receiver. That's, you know, if he's a great red zone receiver with Goff and the main guy, well, if we believe Stafford's better, then I, I think that's where that's at. So, yeah. And then I'll add one last thing. Yeah, Higby. Cap at Higby, yeah. 85 targets, 60 catches, 775 yards, and six touchdowns. I think Higby is an underrated option in this, um, Agree. In this offense. We're really close. Um, I'll just say on Woods and Cup, we're, we're super close. I've and I'm close with you on Higby. I don't even need to run. They're, they're all fairly similar. But uh, Higby is a guy that, like, as we learn more and more, if you're, in, if, if you're listening to this for the fantasy aspect of it, like, these late-round tight ends are coming unraveled, right? Like, like, Adam Trotman, as much as we love him, is having to block more. He's got competition at his spot. Uh, you know, we don't know who to pick between Henry and Jonu Smith. You know, they're battling, you know, injuries. So there's a lot of unknown there. Um, you just you just have a lot of these and even other like sleeper types that as we get more and more information from camp, it's kind of becoming more and more like, uh, like Higby is he's the guy that when I get to Higby and Logan Thomas, those are the two that I'm like, if I didn't get one of the top ones, because normally if I don't get a top one, I'll just punt the whole way. But this year, I'm, I'm more likely to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm just going to eat this pick in the eighth round and I take Logan Thomas or Higby. Like you can throw Noah Fant in there as well. Like you could put him in that group, but I think Higby is the one that now, I mean, there's a chance because Gerald Everett's now gone. If Bryson Hopkins or Jacob Harris can't force, you know, some of the things that that we saw last year from Gerald Everett. So here's the thing with Higby. Higby last year and the year before until the end of the season, um, the thing that has killed Tyler Higby's value traditionally is when they're in long down and distance, he often wasn't the guy getting to run the route. It was Gerald Everett. And they would use him, if it was 12 personnel, they would keep him in to pass block. Um, And then when they would go to 11 personnel on third down and seven, third down and nine, third down and 11, they were putting Gerald Everett on the field to run the routes. I don't know that Bryson Hopkins or Jacob Harris is going to be ready to be the trusted option in that scenario. And I think Higby can do it. And they still have months. So if they want to go 12 and have someone stay in the block, Munt's an excellent – he's actually an excellent uh, pass blocker for a tight end. Um, so we I could easily see – get to mention Johnny Munt two years in a row. And I, <laughs> and I believe you are contractually obligated to, to be talking about <laughs> – He doesn't know. I'm actually paid podcast. by his agent. <laughs> see, there you go. I love it. What other podcast do you get to hear Johnny Munt? That's all you I don't. But But my point with Higby is – I. Don't forget what you saw down the stretch when Gerald Everett was out two years ago. There's a chance that that's what you get from Tyler Higby this year. 
And so I'm I'm more bullish on Higby than most most people because of where he goes in drafts. And I get it, you know, because you got to spend anywhere from an eighth to a tenth round pick on a tight end. And there's a lot of receivers that people like. You may be thinking about your quarterback in that round. So it depends on your roster construction. You can feel kind of jammed up, you know, where you're like, I really want to spend a pick on Higby here. And, and I totally get the thought process around it. I just think people are forgetting, um, again, because it's a player that's been around a while, he's not young, people don't see the ceiling. And, and, and the narrative seems to be now, well, just because, you know, you're getting new opportunities doesn't mean there's a ceiling. And I agree with that. But just because you haven't hit your ceiling yet and you're now getting new opportunities, it doesn't mean that you can't either just because you haven't yet. There's some of this stuff is out of these players' control um, and the way the coaches want to deploy their scheme. Um, so, I mean, you could make the argument that, Dwayne, look, if Everett was on the field and third down along, they obviously thought he was the better receiver. Maybe, but there are dynamics on these teams that we don't consider, right? I mean, you can't just have Gerald Everett never get to play. He's not going to be a happy player. I mean, so you have to keep your locker room happy. You have to give players a chance to sign, shine where you think they can shine. They paid Tyler Higby. He's got his money. So he, you know, he's got his role. He's secure. So I think you just, it's its not as simple as everything that fits on our spreadsheets is all I'll say. And I'm a spreadsheet junkie, but it doesn't all fit on here. Uh, you know, one of the things that just fascinates me is that does anybody remember that Tyler Higby had a hand injury last year that bothered him all last year? Is that a potential reason why maybe Gerald Everett was used more often? Um, because during the beginning of the year, Higby was struggling with this hand injury. You're going to keep him in the block a little bit more, but maybe not use him as much in the receiving game because maybe when that ball hits his hand, it aggravates the hand injury. I don't know, but it would seem to make sense to me. I'm no Gene Brammel, but, but I think that that's certainly a rationale for why a guy who's getting paid and getting his money isn't going out and running longer routes, um, you know, during a year that he yeah. came off of a considerably huge stretch of production, Ending. you know, at the end of the year prior. So he's healthy this year. And Matthew Stafford has made, I can't even remember the names of some of these guys that he's made look good at tight end and, and play actual, get fantasy value out of, and I'm after Brandon Pettigrew. There was a guy out of who used to play with Denver who went there who literally had borderline, who had tight end one production um, for a year. And I don't even remember the dude's name, but I remember that he was uh, he was with the, the Lions. I mean, Matthew Stafford will throw to the tight end. So, yeah, let's move on. And, and I have to ask you, though, okay. man, because I got to know Daryl Henderson. Okay. Daryl Henderson. So you have to talk me through Daryl Henderson. Okay. Because uh, I, with Akers being out and the scheme, he's the guy that, especially if I go what you would call upside down or if you go zero running back, um, or if you just take one running back in the first two rounds. Once I get to round five, which is where he goes in home leagues, if you're in a sharper draft, he may, he may go round four. But he's kind of the guy that's sitting there because a lot of these backs, I'm I, I'm like, you know, I like them, but I just love the receivers that are here. So I don't the opportunity cost is a bit much. But Henderson for me is the one that even though I have issues with him, the, the scheme he's in, I see a potential for a big year, um, okay. you know, because I think the offense could be so good. So what do you say? Yeah, so here's the thing. I think I've got this Rams things figured out, and of course that means I probably won't have it figured out at all. But, um, but I really do think I have a handle on what's going to happen here. And it's very clear that um, 
Watching the film last year, I thought Daryl Henderson was the more nuanced runner than Cam Akers for most of the year. Um, but I think due to draft capital and his failure to acclimate early on and the fact that he's a smaller back, they those combination of things, they saw him as more of a scat back compliment than, and a big play scat back compliment than a, um, you know, kind of Sean McVay's ultimate Daryl um, Thompson or Chris Thompson, you know, when he was back with Washington football team and Chris Thompson was drafted early by Mike Shanahan. I think that that's where McVay saw Henderson getting the chance to be rather than what they did with Akers. They force-fed Akers until he got better. And, and, I, and I think that Akers was a talented guy. But now that Akers is hurt, here's what I think is going on. They know that Henderson's going to be their best back on the roster right now. They need to, they're having a camp to see whether or not Xavier Jones is good enough to be the number two in pass protection and running between the tackles. So far, so good. We haven't heard, we've heard good things. And then they're looking to see if Jake Funk or Raymond Calais will surprise. Jake Funk is a former linebacker at Wisconsin who then went to Maryland, had a, some tough knee injuries and an infection. And he's fast, but he's not very nuanced as a runner, folks. And I think that they're going to discover that, you know, other than draw plays and selected types of gap runs, he's not a, a big-time guy. Calais is a special teamer. Funk and Calais are both good special teams options, and I think they're competing for that role. And if it comes down to that Funk has to play extended time, they're finding a free agent and they're adding them to the roster. Um, so... What ha- most likely happens is that Jones is playing well enough that I doubt that they're going to get a free agent right now or at the end of the preseason. If the running game struggles within the first week or two, they will add a free agent to the mix from someone who's either been cut, and they'll probably do that anyway. They'll probably add a good free agent running back from the lot of backs that have been cut in the preseason or they'll either trade, make a small-time trade for a Matt Breda type, or they'll add a guy that they pay a little. They have to pay the veteran minimum to, who's established, who's pretty good. Um, but right now, that means that for Henderson, they they want to cap Henderson because they don't believe that he can stay healthy, uh, and they don't believe he can hold up the. Yep. But he's a good back, and when I look at him. He the transition he made from being completely lost in wide zone to actually running it well, and he's a good duo runner, and he shows some functional power. They're going to be able to use him. They're just going to probably have him on some sort of a pitch count. I've met 209 attempts, 900 yards at 4.3 yards per attempt because I just don't think this offensive line is fantastic. Um, but And I've met six rushing touchdowns. And where I have him shining, where he should have shown – for a long time was 51 targets in the receiving game, 42 receptions, um, 380 yards. And that's probably a little too high because I've met nine yards per attempt. I don't think he's going to go that high, but they like to run those wheel and bullet routes with him. And I think Stafford can target, can find him on those. So I, I have him in a range. If you're going to look at like projected fantasy points for, or just PPR redraft, I have Henderson, let's see, he is ranked just below Najee Harris for me as 20th, or yeah, 21st 
on my running back PPR board. He's 21st on my board um, for backs. Um, and that puts him in the range of Kareem Hunt, Mike Davis, DeAndre Swift, Najee Harris. I just don't think the offensive line in Pittsburgh is going to support Harris. And I think Harris is a, has top 15 talent. I just don't think he's going to get there just as a side point. So that's where I'm at at Henderson. And I just don't see him becoming a running back one because he's a guy where if the rest of the team struggles, the rest of the depth chart struggles, they're going to find a free agent. Um, they're going to pull Frank Gore out and they won't pull Frank Gore out because he's, he's not a wide zone guy, but you know, they'll get a, they'll get a veteran and slap that guy in there and take up the 100 to 150 touches that they would have, you know, that they would have given Cam Akers as the lead back. And Henderson's probably stuck to between 200 to 250, um, carries at best. And I doubt he's, he gets 250. He hits 250. He's proven them wrong, and they've seen the light, and they're dancing around like John Belushi in the in the Blues Brothers flick, flick, uh, flick in the church scene, you know. And I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I, so I've got him at fifty two percent of the attempt. So I've got him at two forty four. So I'm over the two oh nine. But I agree, I don't see him getting the sixty to seventy percent. He's not going to get that kind of a workload. Yeah. But I have him just over half of the rushing attempts. Um, and, you know, so I've basically left and I don't know who all that it will go to because we just don't know yet. I, right now I've got Xavier Jones, to your point, penciled in as the next one. Um, and I'm where you are. I got him at four and a quarter, you know, per carry, but I've got him at 1,038 yards and I've got him with eight rushing touchdowns. Um, he was actually the preferred option um, all season until the end of the year uh, inside the five. Like, yeah. so they already saw him as a valuable player there. What's interesting about him for his size, and this probably is what causes some of the injuries, like if you start to pair things together and string it like next gen stats and like how fast he is, like he hits the hole really hard. Like, I mean, he's top speed <laughs> when he's coming through the hole and you know, when a linebacker plugs the hole and you weigh as much as he does, like he's, he's getting through the line of scrimmage, like Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones, um, and Aaron Jones, you could consider to be kind of a similar type build player, Dalvin cook, like when they, their foot in the ground and they decide to go which is probably why he was so good at that gap style running scheme in college you know because it was pretty much you knew where you're going and just go and that worked well for him um you know it, I, I feel like there's a lot of big play potential oh <laughs> um, massive basically i think there's could be a lot of long runs um you know those are hard to predict but i i feel like the explosiveness upside is still really big for him but i'm i'm basically where you are on targets and receptions i've got him at 62 targets, which is 10% of the target share, 47 receptions. Um, and I've got him at eight and a half yards per catch. So just barely below what you had, um, because it's, he's, he's actually a good receiver out of the backfield. He gets some depth to his targets. And again, he's got that explosiveness. Um, so I mean, I've got him at 250 points in fantasy and, and a PPR league. Um, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I've got him at yeah. 251, which would have been 236 for reference last year in a 16 game season. This is over 17 games. But I've got him uh, ranked 17th on my board. There you go. So, so we're, got him, we're not I've far got him ahead. I've got him over David Montgomery and Miles Sanders. Um, you know, I, so we don't have to get into those players, but just to kind of give people a feel for where I have him. Um, I've got him over J.K. Dobbins, but only because Dobbins, it, Dobbins is the better player, clearly. Like Dobbins is a guy that I would be drafting in the second round if he wasn't stuck with Lamar Jackson plus Gus Edwards, like getting the work that they get. 
Yeah, and that's a com. Hopefully, we can have another conversation about the Ravens down the line here because that's one where we we have some differences. But I I get your point with that. I'll say this: what I have in my projections, I have you know Henderson, Jones, Funk, Calais, and likely free agent is one of my running backs. And likely free agent has 16 games, 73 attempts, 300 yards, a touchdown, and 60 yards receiving and eight receptions. And I could see adding. A lot of that on to Henderson if the if likely free agent isn't isn't a part of the equation. But I'm counting on it through fantasy drafts for that to happen. And that keeps me that keeps me a little more grounded on Henderson. And I don't and I'm telling you, that's an act of discipline for me because when I watch Henderson play, I really like him. Um, but I just I'm trying to keep myself from getting too enthusiastic. Because you're worried about the, the workload and how much they're willing to give him. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So let's move on to the same, stay in the same town, but move on to a different team and talk about speaking of tight ends who have upside potential that you can get like for free practically in fantasy drafts. Who's playing in the same offense. I have a feeling that he played in before he just in a different town with an upgrade at quarterback now is Jared Cook with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, but, you know, you look at the Chargers, Justin Herbert just like blew all most expectations, um, you know, as a rookie. He had a fantastic year. And he was targeting guys like Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson. Jalen Guyton, you know Jalen Guyton well from from your alma mater. And I never thought Jalen Guyton was a deep threat and it was like, here he is, like being a deep threat along with old Oklahoma State's Tyron Johnson, who bounced from the Bears and I think the Cowboys possibly to being with the with the Chargers. I don't know if he was on the Cowboys, but I know he was a Bear for a short time. And those are guys that like he made these guys look every bit as good as Mike Williams, you know, at least from a statistical standpoint. Um, and doing this as a rookie. And now he gets into a, an offense that, you know, is going to mimic more, I, we think, of what the Saints do, um, which is good for Austin Eckler, possibly. Could be good for, if Eckler gets hurt, could be good for the other guys on that backfield who are interesting players, though I think a lot of fantasy analysts have fleed from them because they didn't start out the gate as strong as they were they were touted. Um and then you have Jared Cook coming in, who seems to have developed a really strong rapport. And Cook's the old man, and we don't like old players and all of that. But I don't know. I mean, Cook, to me, has been a top 12 tight end for two of the past three seasons. And last year, he had to deal with three different quarterbacks, one of them that was holed together with bailing wire um, and couldn't throw the ball downfield, it turned out. So what do you think, Dwayne? Well, I think one, Jared Cook has been a goldmine for me as far as figuring this offense out. As a veteran who understands the NFL, I've been reading, and a lot of times I do not listen to a player, but when I listen to the nuance of Jared Cook's responses to the reporters um, and to the questions he's being asked, he's dropped some really, really good nuggets around what this offense is going to look like. So we know we've got, you know, Brandon Staley coming over from the Rams, right? Defensive-minded guy but he's talked about trying to keep you know the tempo up but i expect more balance and so when you look at cooks the one that specifically came out in otas 
and said 30 to 40% of this offense will be based on Lombardi's offense coming from Sean Payton. And that's the passing game. But with the difference being the running game is being installed. That's being installed is wide zone. They're going with Kyle Shanahan scheme. So they also have, and I forgot his name now, so I, I apologize. But uh, no, Frank Smith uh, is the offensive uh, line coach and the assistant offensive line coach, uh, Sean uh, Surratt, I believe is how you say his name. Um, but one of those guys, and sorry, and then the quarterback's coach, Shane Day, like hearing their, like what they've said, and Shane Day comes from the 49ers. He was the quarterback's coach there. And so like hearing their quotes and then putting Jared Cook's quotes like together, like this is what's happening. You know, the offensive passing game will be based more on what the Saints did, but the ground game is going to really be more about this wide zone type concept. They're going to give Herbert more opportunity to to get out on bootlegs, move him around. A lot of the stuff that we just talked about with Stafford, Um, but they're going to use the running backs heavily in the passing game, which is not always a feature, you know, of the Shanahan offense. It really just depends on who they have on the roster. I expect more passes to go to the running backs because you have Austin Eckler. Um, so, man, I'm excited about the offense overall, Matt, because, I mean, Phillip Rivers has got to be looking at this and going, what the hell? Like, come on, guys. Now's <laughs> the year you draft Rashawn Slater. You you sign Corey Lindsley in free agency. This offensive line got a major upgrade, right? And if Balaga can stay healthy, now look, Balaga and Slater are both kind of, on, you know, on the, on the mend right now. They're not practicing, but nothing like season-long, uh, you know, wise that we're worried about coming from those guys right now. Um, but I expect the offensive line to be a lot better. But I think that the team is going to be more balanced based on everything that I'm reading here and knowing that we've got a, a, a defense. That, and we say this every year. Like, the Chargers just need to stay healthy <laughs> on defense. Like they, they, they take these death blows like way early in the season every year, like as far as injuries go with Derwin James. And, you know, in the past, you know, you'd have, uh, you know, Gordon getting hurt. I mean, they're, they've played all sorts of Verrett, Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good players getting hurt way early in the season. And so far knock on wood for them, you know, they're staying healthy. So I think this is going to be a more balanced offense based off of everything I'm reading. So, so zoom out. At, yeah. Zoom yeah, out for us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, where I've got it right here is I've got, I've got the chargers, um, at a 60-40 split, everything wrapped in. Again, remember that 60% includes sacks. It also includes scrambles. But when you get to the true pass attempts and rushing attempts, I've got it at 56-44. So 600 passing attempts, 462 uh, rushing attempts. And for you Charger fans out there, you know what that is. Last year, Justin Herbert threw the ball 595 times in 15 games. I've got him throwing the ball 600 times in 17 games this year. Um, and I think the Chargers come in second place in this division um, using this offense. And I think the, the team will be better. I think from a fantasy perspective, Herbert uh, is being drafted too soon um, in fantasy drafts because I don't think he's going to have the volume. He should be getting drafted more around where you would take Matt Stafford, more around where you would take Ryan Tannehill. And I think his floor is more like what we would think with Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, um, Derek Carr, guys that could end up being in run heavy offenses that are depending on spike efficiency weeks um, to really provide you with fantasy value. Um, so I, I still like him. He just goes too far ahead of 80 of where I would put him to be taking him at ADP. And I, I love Tom Brady. So yeah. <laughs> I, if I can get Tom Brady two rounds after Justin Herbert, I'm just not drafting Justin Herbert. And it's nothing against Justin Herbert. Um, because, I mean, I still have him being an efficient quarterback. I've got him at a 67% completion rate for 402 completions, 
4,650 yards. Uh, got him right around 30 touchdowns. I've got him at 33. So I've still got him at a decent number of touchdowns. Um, so I've got him, you know, right around 340, 345 fan- fantasy points in a typical scoring format. The problem is I have Stafford in that same range. Um, you know, I've got a lot of these guys in the same range. And I think his downside, like I said, is to be more around the 300 range. Um, so I have his floor as being slightly lower than some of the guys that I like in the same place. And I have his ceiling as being lower than what I have for some of the guys likely in the same place. So again, it's nothing about not liking the player and thinking that he can't be a a good player. I just see the offense evolving. And I think that helps the chargers hurts Justin Herbert slightly uh, in a fantasy from a fantasy perspective. And there's just a couple of quick things on, on Herbert. There are some red flags from an, from an analytics perspective. The most sticky stat year to year is your grade from a clean pocket. He graded 25 out of 32 quarterbacks with enough attempts last year. And that, and that's bad. His and that was pressure, an issue with him on, on tape. That was an issue with him in college. So that, that, that worries me. His grade under pressure was six out of 32, but it's not a sticky stat. Because if it, and Kevin Cole um, from Pro Football Focus, I think puts this in a really good way. Um, you know, his kind of comment around this is why this is probably hard to be sticky is every play under pressure, there's so many there's so much difference between what each one looks like, (laughs) you know, it's not like every pressure plays the same, you know, I mean, are you on the move? Is your pressure in your face? Are you, you know, are you trying to escape the pressure? I mean, how quickly did the pressure come? What's the route? Exactly. There's so many variables that if the perfect call is there and you're under pressure, you could still execute. Right. But if the call is off, which could be random chance, you know, on, on when the pressure comes, most teams expect pressure on third down and long. They know the defense most of the time is going to go man coverage and they're going to bring an extra pass rusher, right? So that's one way, maybe isolating to those. Maybe if you isolated to man pressure situations, third and seven, where a quarterback should be expecting pressure. The problem is your sample size is going to get really small and how sticky can that be? Um, his positive graded throw rate, meaning where he made the right you know, decision essentially was 20th out of 32. His negative graded throw rate was 27 out of 32. That's bad. Big time throws were good, 13. That means whenever you're doing above and beyond really what you should do, and they're typically shots down the field, and you're, you're, hitting, you're fitting the ball where a lot of quarterbacks you know, may not. Turnover worthy plays was still good, 7 out of 32. Um, his, and from, a, from an accuracy standpoint, um, he was he was okay, but not great. His pinpoint accuracy graded 14 out of 32. His general accuracy, meaning within the frame of the receiver, 13 out of 32. Um, but his, and his catchable inaccurate passes, meaning um, it was slightly off target, but the receiver adjusted and caught the ball. He was five out of 32, so that's good. But then when he misses, he misses big. He was 25 out of 32 quarterbacks and uncatchable balls. So there's just enough there for me, Matt. Offense is going to change, and I think there is a chance for regression just based on these underlying things, things that are typically sticky versus not sticky year to year. There's just a bit too much for me at his ADP. I'm glad you brought it up because I'm I'm, I'm similar to you on his where you have him. I have him at 371 fantasy points at 45, 44 rush on passing yards. 68.7% 68.7% completion percentage at 619 attempts, um, 31 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, um, and you know 
174 rushing yards with three scores. Um, so it elevates him a little bit higher. But I think I have him at a ceiling, and I think he has a much bigger floor. And I'm glad you highlighted that floor because I'm not taking him either anywhere. And I'm going to start, I know for next year for my subscribers, I think I'm going to start having some sort of notation that notes, I feel like I have this guy at a ceiling and he has a much lower floor or has like, I want to note things that like high ceiling, high, high ceiling, high floor, high ceiling, low floor type. And of you things. do that for your, for your dynasty stuff. So what I would say, like, I would love to see you do this because of the knowledge you bring around football, not just thinking about numbers. What I love is whenever, and one of your, my favorite sayings of yours is the trapdoor floor like having a note around, look, this is the trapdoor floor. And what I, the way I would term it, I don't want to steal your term, but mm-hmm. I think his trap, his trapdoor floor is they really just try to be as run heavy as they can. Now, I don't know they have the backs that's to, the, to really to do that. Yeah. So that's why I haven't gone there. Um, so I expect them to be more balanced than those other teams I mentioned, but I do think that is his trapdoor floor. I, I do. It's within the range of yeah. outcomes. The, the thing is, though, then that means – it's got to be Josh Kelly or Larry Roundtree who supplement Austin Eckler because I think Austin Eckler is a good, a very good all-around running back. But is he going to get 250 carries? No. No. no I think I Justin Jackson's the guy that's been your old favorite is the guy they've been the most impressed with through camp. Yeah. And he is getting most of the second team work. The issue is with him is like your Daryl Henderson thing. Can he hold up? Yes. I think it's going to be a complete committee. I, I I don't have I don't think Eckler gets over, um, you know, just looking at where I have Eckler. I have, right I have now. an Eckler at one ninety two, rushes. That's yeah, I, I have got. Oh, pull it back up. Yeah, I've got Eckler right now. I have him at one hundred eighty five, and I don't feel super comfortable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, that's where I'm at. Yeah, uh, but but I love him in the passing game, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm okay maybe being a smidge high on his rushing upside. Um, but I, I look at where I gave him the forty percent of the rushing attempts as if he could get to where Kamara is, and that's about where Kamara is. He stays between thirty-seven and a half percent to forty-two percent of the rushing attempts. What kind of makes you want to push him up a little bit is what you said. You're like, well, who the hell's the second? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is it's going to be a committee of them. And again, yes. now let's think back. You have the 49ers, you know, scheme coming in. I think it's going to be a mix of Jackson and either Kelly or Roundtree. Yeah. And as, as being the guy that the first and second down workload, I think when they want, I think Eckler's going to see plenty of first and second down work, but I think you're, it'll be a thing like where every third series, kind of like what the Saints do with Latavius Murray. Like, hey man, come over here, Eckler, catch a breather. You're going to still see plenty of work. We're going to let Jackson have this series. Then the next time that happens, it'll be Kelly or Roundtree that gets the series. Then the next time, it'll be Jackson. So you'll have four four drives a game where it won't be Eckler. Yeah. Now, as soon as they get in a third down and long, Eckler will pop on the field and he'll pop back off if, if it's still on the same drive. Or they end up going hurry up and he gets stuck on the field. You know, just to, There's a lot of nuance to these things. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm close to where you have. I'm at 185 attempts for Eckler. Yeah, because I look at this and I see – Eckler in a situation where, well, for me, it's like, I agree with you. I mean, you know, obviously Justin Jackson's been a long time, a favorite of mine, but I only haven't projected to play 10 games. I can't just, I can't project him to play any more than that. Um, So as a result, then I see Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree splitting the rest of those, unless one of them emerges. And from what I'm reading, 
neither one's emerged on a high level to say they're one's clearly the favorite over the other. Have you read anything different? No, okay. uh, no, not between those two. They, they like, they, I just get the generic quotes. They like Roundtree, comma, because they took him in the seventh round. Right. <laughs> Where, what yeah. does that mean? Seven, exactly. when, since when does seventh round really mean anybody likes anyone? Right. Like, saw something, but they got to, he could be cut. Right. Yeah. I mean, so we'll have to see. I haven't yeah. seen anything enough to make me feel really good one way or another. My problem with Kelly is I really liked him and he, you know, they wanted him to succeed last year and he just couldn't. So yeah, I guess yeah. the question for you might be in a wide zone scheme, is Kelly more of a fit versus the scheme he played in last year on the running game? I think you're the guy that probably actually holds like the, the secret answer here. Well, both he and Roundtree are good at wide zone. So it's a dead heat, honestly. Okay. I think, I think. Kelly's got more of the top end speed that they want, but he put the ball on the ground and lost his confidence and started questioning himself. And you can't question yourself in a zone scheme. You just can't, you, you can't do that. It's you're ruined. So hopefully he overcomes that. Justin Jackson's the best running back on the team. If you ask me as a between the tackles runner, but he's just the, he's also the least available. Um, so that doesn't make him the best, but he's the most talented. That's for sure. Um, so yeah. So for me, when I'm making a bet on this backfield and it's not Eckler, I just make it Jackson. And here's why. What if he does stay healthy? My my question is, I don't know that I feel good enough about the other two to spend the pick. And so you get him on the waiver wire anyway. Yeah. and, And with Jackson, if you're in a deep league, like, you know, 20 rounds or more, I don't mind taking him with my last pick, not in best ball. In, yeah. in best ball, there's too many unknowns. But right. in a in a redraft format where I can work a waiver wire, I like Justin Jackson as a last round pick. Even yeah. even if he's out after week five, I might be able to use him in week three and four if I've got an injury or if I just took one running back early and maybe some of the upside guys I have are not hitting yet. Yeah. And this offense jumps out of the gates. So I think he provides, you know, an opportunity there. And then to your point, if you're worried about his injury, who knows? He could have a couple of decent games, um, you know, score some touchdowns, and you've got a team. You got a team in your league that's like, "Hey, man, what do you want for Justin Jackson?" You're like, "Hey, man, whatever you got." Yeah. <laughs> I want to unload it right now. <laughs> I want to touch on one more team before we gotta go. Yep, let's go. Um, but I have one more question about this team before we do that. So yep. the, the last question is this: I think we can all safely assume that Keenan Allen's probably gonna. Lead in receptions. Mike Williams is probably going to be a little bit overrated or underrated, depending on how you look at him. He'll be a little polarizing for folks. Um, but I want to know about Jared Cook. I want to know what you have projected for him. If you're saying he's, you know, he's made it at least your how you look at this team. Do you see him getting a he's chance? He's my most drafted tight end, and it's because I can get him late, and he's the one that I feel good about. Thank you. I I, I have concerns about. Uh, pretty much every other late round tight end. I think Cook is going to easily win this job. I think he's going to be on the field all the time, which he wasn't with the Saints. Um, And he's, look, we've seen older profile athletic tight ends be able to continue to be successful. And I think he's in a scheme now that's going to use lots of play action, lots of mismatches where he still has the athleticism to get open against linebackers, especially when they got to worry about their run fill on a play action play. He's going to be right in behind them in that 10 to 15 yards range. He's going to, the thing you have to worry about him is in this kind of offense. And we've seen it with Kittle. We've seen it with other guys in the past is you're going to, you're going to take some big licks because the safety, 
you know, is going to be the guy coming downhill on you to put the lick on you when you catch the ball in that space. But, you know, overall, Cook's been a fairly healthy player, and he's he's used to that kind of contact. He is older, but I think he's the guy that in the early season for people, because he's not getting drafted a lot. Like, if in, if you're in a normal size league, Jared Cook's getting left on the waiver wire, and he should not be. I have Jared Cook, just to give you guys an, an idea, not to, like, you need to go to Pro Football Focus if you want all my rankings. But, like, I have got Jared Cook – over Hunter Henry, I've got him over Adam Troutman. Um, I've got him over. I've got him over Mike Jasicki. <laughs> so, who I'm completely worried about because he's now not getting to play slot because Jalen Waddle is in the first game of the preseason. Mike Jasicki was only in a route for 34 percent of the starters' dropbacks. Like he's coming on and off the field. So, um, I, I love Cook. I don't feel that he's got the question. Robert Tanyan's going to have touchdown regression. Um, Dallas Goddard's now got a deal with Zach Ertz and I got to take him. I got to take Dallas Goddard in like the ninth round of a fantasy draft. I can get Jared Cook for free with my last pick. And so that's why he's my most owned um, tight end outside of, you know, he's my most owned tight end period because he's the one I'm the most comfortable with when I missed on, on the elites or if I make, miss on my second tier. Yeah. The only thing that's going to happen to Cook because of, in my opinion, what's going to happen on the field is he's just going to drop the ball because he drops the ball at times. Yeah. So he's going to have a lower catch percentage than a lot of top tight ends who are in the 70 and maybe even higher yeah. range. He's going to be Agreed. at about 64%. He's going to have 90. I got him at 65. Yep. And 90, 90 targets I have for him. The, all those guys you mentioned, you have him above. I'm above them too. He's ninth on my board just below Tyler Higby. So to me, if you can, if I don't get. If I don't get an elite tight end, you know, that's in those main names, I'm just like, fine, I'll get Cook late because that's like you. It's just easy. But he's my go-to there. I'm yeah. I'm leaning into him. And I think the reason he's not going is, again, because we've, we've jumped into this narrative echo chamber where if you're not young, you're not good. Yeah. And in the later rounds of fantasy drafts especially, I'm all about betting on young upside. But there are veterans every year that can come out of this range that truly help your fantasy team. And I think Jared Cook is a key. All right. I'm, you're the guest, so I'm going to give you the choice. Of... Seahawks. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Tee it up, man. All right. Yeah. 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 So Seahawks, um, big changes going on here. Um, you guys know um, Schottenheimer was fired by Pete Carroll. You probably followed it. If you follow Matt, you follow a lot of football. So, and, it, and the quotes were, and Carroll admitted, he said, look, I just don't, I don't like this hyper pass heavy offense, the let Russ cook offense. It makes Pete Carroll uncomfortable. He gets ants in his pants about it. He chooses gum faster. You know, it's just, it's not good for Pete's health. So he had to make a change, which is funny, right? Because the narrative on Schottenheimer was just, his, he was this old stodgy, you know, Marty ball from his dad, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, just this guy that just, you know, was going to run the ball all the time. Turns out he was actually willing to throw the ball a lot, but it, you know, he and Carroll, there was a philosophical difference, but I think it goes deeper than just Schottenheimer wanting to throw the ball more. I think it comes back to, he did not adjust his scheme down the stretch, which can happen. Andy Reid struggled with this last year when all of a sudden teams just said, screw it. We're going too high all the time. You, you are not hitting DK Metcalf for a 60 yard touchdown. It's not happening. So what are you going to do now? And the offense did not adapt. And I think that's two key things there, right? The throwing too much without enough balance. Number two, the adaptation um, to the two high looks. I think that's where Shane Waldron comes in and can keep Russ Wilson happy. And here's how. Shane Waldron, 
is much more, he comes from the Rams. He comes from Sean McVay. It's much more about layers of the field. So I expect to see DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett deployed in a much different fashion. I think this is also why they brought, they drafted Dwayne Eskridge and they brought over Gerald Everett. They know they need three weapons back to the rule of three, Matt, the old article rule of three, um, Colts, 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 Colts levels. <laughs> yes. So you need three weapons that can challenge the defense as good as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both are, you can account for two more easily. So I think the scheme is going to be helpful. I think the additions are going to be helpful. And I think you're going to see more play action. You're going to see more Russ Wilson under center. I think you're going to see more running than what we've seen in the past, but I don't think it's going to hurt Russ Wilson's volume because they're going to run with tempo. And that's the balance. When they look at the end of the day, when you look at the spreadsheet, Pete Carroll is going to see, we drop back to pass the ball. Um, you know, 59% of the time we ran the ball 41 and the attempts are going to be 53% pa- uh, pass 47% rushing attempts. And he's going to be happy with that. So remember, Wilson, the reason it goes from 59 and 41 on pass plays to 53, 47 on attempts is because a lot of those dropbacks turn into scrambles now because that's what Wilson brings to the table. So at the end of the day, the spreadsheet's going to look good to Marty. I mean, not to Marty, to Pete Carroll. Um, But Russ Wilson's still going to be happy because they're going to run more plays. If you look at Shane Waldron, we just talked about McVay, so I don't need to spend a ton of time on it. If you look at the plays per game over the last three years of what they've gotten from Schottenheimer versus what I expect them to run or Waldron, I think you're going to see anywhere between three and five additional plays ran per game, which if you extrapolate that out over a 17-game season, you're talking about Russ Wilson getting to run a full game to two-plus games of volume versus what he would have ran under Schottenheimer. So you're essentially getting two more games, a game and a half, let's call it, out of Russ Wilson and this passing offense, even though they're running the ball more than what they used to. So everybody gets to be happy. So Wilson's going to be happy. What does Wilson happiness look like? Yeah. So Wilson happiness looks like he is also a centerpiece for me and in, in in the passing game for quarterbacks this year. Uh, Wilson is the guy I'm willing to take ahead of Brady and then come back to Brady. Um, Now I don't force it though, because I love Brady so much. That's why Brady, if you had to name one guy as being my centerpiece is because he goes later. But what I love about Russ is we could see some of Russ's best. He's already a hyper-efficient player, um, but we could see improvements. So I've got him right now at 572 attempts. Um, I've got him at a completion percentage of 71%. Yeah, I know you guys are going to say that's freaky. But I expect the average depth of target to come down a little bit. And we're talking about Russ Wilson. He's a guy that is very high in completion percentage anyway. And if you adjust it for his average depth of target, he's actually one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I got touchdowns per attempt at six and a half. So that's total. I've got him at 406 completions, 4,600 yards passing, 37 passing touchdowns at the six and a half percent each. I've got him at, from a scramble percentage, 370 yards rushing from a design rushing play, meaning a call rushing play by the staff, 70 yards. So that's 440 yards rushing. And I've got him with Right now, only two rushing touchdowns. He could easily be higher than that. <laughs> he could be at like five so easily. That's 379 fantasy points. So he's right at 380. And you get him well after Dak. He's going three and four rounds after the other top quarterbacks in a lot of these drafts. Sometimes he's more like two rounds to a round and a half. But when I look at Russ Wilson, he's the guy 
that when you want legs and you want the passing upside, I would not be surprised, Matt. If we look at we look down at the end of the season, we're like, holy crap, Russ Wilson's number two. He's the number two quarterback in fantasy. It could totally happen. Listen, you know I'm a big Russell Wilson fan, so I'm I'm if I were to be a homer of a quarterback, he might be the one, even though, you know, our my my audible buddies dislike the the polished exterior that that he puts out there but uh but russ wilson i'm with you i, I have the pass 56 percent 44 um in, in, to run um a little bit lower um i have wilson at 539 attempts 365 completions 67 7 percent might be a little bit lower but i just i think with the new receiver in in eskridge and Eskridge with that toe might not play all year. He's going to have to play on it all year until it wears out and he has to get surgery. Um, then they're going to have to be dealing with either Penny Hart, who I love, and or Kay Johnson or somebody along those lines and who might not be as familiar. So I worry a little bit about that. And Metcalf is a certain type of route runner. So I think he can do more than just run go routes. But at the same token, you know they're going to be a little bit longer developing for him. Uh, working across the field I think he'll benefit but I think Tyler Lockett if Eskridge works out Eskridge is in there and he's going to benefit Tyler Lockett more than Eric than Derek DK Metcalf benefits Tyler Lockett in my opinion I wish they would have kept David Moore to be honest like so you had Eskridge or him as the option outside because I thought Moore was a bit of an underrated player as well. Of course, yeah. now he lands on a team and they draft Terrace Marshall. So he's going to be dealing with the same thing as being the odd yeah. man out. But they're finally going to a three wide. This is going to be their base look now. Yeah. And to me, it's like, man, like if you would have had two guys there that I felt comfortable with, yeah. I agree with you. I would have liked that. Yeah. So I have, I have Wilson at 41.78 in terms of yards, 7.75 yards per attempt, 36 scores. Um, so a 6.7% of his touchdowns per attempt. Um, and 428 rushing yards and three touchdowns. So I actually have him at 400 and uh, 404 fantasy points. So I have him a little bit higher than you, even though I have the I have him a little more efficient. I think in the touchdown range and and, and the scoring potential, where you have him more efficient in terms of. Um, passing yards and yardage yeah and yardage so it's a fascinating look there um you know i don't i don't want to get too deep into this because we're pressed for time and hopefully we'll get Dwayne back on you know again because obviously you know if i if there's anybody that i'd love to be able to do a regular series with it'd be Dwayne. but i know he's got enough on his plate with what we're doing and and, and i've certainly missed those days but uh we've got you know, is there anyone you really want to point out in this offense in addition to Russ that you just feel like fantasy players would benefit from or benefit from ignoring? There's nobody I'm ignoring um, in best ball drafts. <laughs> I mean, I'm take, if I have Russ Wilson on my team, I'll take Eskridge with the last pick. I know the toes, you know, been an issue, so that's going to hurt him. He hasn't been able to get up to speed, but I'm still willing to just throw a late pick. Um, I guess the other one really just is Chris Carson. Um, you know, people seem to be pretty down on him. I know he, he's a violent runner, and so there can be some some injuries. But the, Carson is the guy that if, if for some reason, you know, I, I come out of the first three rounds and I have one running back, 
um, and I'm coming around that corner in the fourth and he slides a little bit, he's the one that I'm willing to kind of press the gas on. Like he's the one I'm willing to take. I don't expect him to handle all the passing down work. I think a lot of that will be divvied out between the backups. Last year, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer took that over down the stretch. Rashad Penny, we'll see if he's healthy. Um, Alex Collins is making noise in camp. So I feel like there's, you know, other guys that can, um, I, I expect, I mean, I think Alex Collins could actually be the guy, end up, you know, and, and you're the guy that got me kind of on this a, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I think you even said something about it in your recent gut check article. So I'll let you hit on him, but he could be the cuff, you know, to Carson, but back to Carson. Um, I just think you're going to have a pretty efficient running game. Um, and so I've got him at 1,250 yards and 10 rushing touchdowns without getting a ton of work in the passing game. Not bad. I got him at 38 target. I mean, 38 receptions for 280 yards uh, in the passing game um, and not being a complete zero, you know, from a standpoint of touchdowns either. I have him with one and a half touchdowns receiving. So um, Carson's a guy that I don't want to take him like early in the third round because there's just some receivers there that I'm like super hyped and sometimes Kittle slides to early third round, which if he does, he's like auto pick for me. Um, but outside of that, once I get to the end of the third, if I just want to go ahead and say, you know, I'm going to take my second back and kind of be done with it for a while. Cause I don't want to mess with some of these other players. Carson's definitely, um, in my queue. Yeah. I think that, I think that that makes total sense. I just have, I'm more conservative about Carson's health this year. I'm projected at 14 games. So I have him missing. Some How many carries? 176 out of oh, 14. So yeah, I have 176. That's way low. Yeah, it is. What makes you that low on him? I'm just worried about him staying healthy. I think that's really the the big thing. But again, as a quality player, I think your upside, your pick on him is an upside, is more upside than how I view it. But it's in that he's it's reasonable, totally reasonable. I'm just. I mean, I only have him at 55 percent of the carries, so I have them bringing him down from where he's been when he's healthy, which is around. 60 percent or more because i have him given additional work to the other you know players um you know i will say with him like over the last three or four years i think he's only missed four games something like that yeah so it's not like it's been crazy so yeah i look and if people don't want carson because they're worried about it there are plenty of receivers like you can take mike evans there to be who we already talked about so well to i mean again i mean i i like my projections but at the same point i respect the hell out of Dwayne, and i think that if you if you're more on the high side i think that Dwayne's look at it is very reasonable to talk about Collins I mean look you know Collins was a good back he got popped for a drug suspension was gone for a year um he had the Seattle regretted ever losing him letting him go um and he's got great feet he's got good he's a great decision maker he can be a violent runner and finish strong um he's smart you know he just doesn't have top end speed so you know, then you you contrast that with Penny, who's got great speed. He's a great athlete who's finally in real shape the way that they need him to be. And I think he was just beginning to learn the zone scheme just before he got hurt and had that difficult injury. So Penny's looked pretty good in camp too. I would expect they're going to give Penny a shot to show what he can do early. But when DK Metcalf is talking about how good Collins is, that's the player's point of view. That's probably more telling that... Collins is going to be the guy. I would I would say, you know, you don't want to draft three guys. Collins is kind of going for free in most leagues, unless you're with, if you're in a league where you know you're playing with connect, you know, guys who are wired in, dialed in with reading everything. I would probably just ignore Penny and go with Collins late later, and maybe go, you know, with Collins as your second back. 
If you're if not, you can probably get Collins off your waiver wire. The other guy I want to mention before we go will be Penny Hart, and it's just because <laughs> I have to. I you're have contractually to. obligated to talk about Penny Hart and I'm Chad Kelly even... and Chad Kelly. <laughs> I just mentioned Chad Kelly. There we go. We squeezed that in. Um, but um, but you know, Penny Hart is just. To, to me, he's having a strong camp. They've talked about how they really liked him. He forced his way into playing time last year, um, and they liked what they saw. He's been making play after play, like contested plays against um, you know bigger defenders, and that's kept telling with a guy who really, to me, was what, when people looked at Andy Isabella, they were looking at Penny Hart in a window, and they thought they were looking in... They they were looking at um you know him at somebody else like through a TV screen I don't know it was just they I can't give you the good image with that it's early for me but uh but Penny Hard is a guy who is everything that I thought people thought Andy Isabella was and Andy Isabella isn't um he's a much more efficient route runner he's someone that's more rugged at the catch point he's he's more skilled at being able to turn up field and get necessary yards um. And he's worked his way into a spot where he's going to be a contributor. And I think when Eskridge gets hurt, they're going to need Hart. And Freddie Swain has been pretty good, um, you know, out of Florida. But I think he's more athlete than he is great route runner. And I think Hart's a little better in that respect. Um, and then the guy to keep an eye on too is Cade Johnson because he is a smart. He was a smart young player as a rookie who's injured and may get up to speed and show a little bit more as time goes on. But Hart's the guy that I would be keeping on your waiver wire late. So, yeah, listen, this was great. Obviously, we could do a marathon probably with us. And while we might get slap happy out of fatigue doing this, I, I think we would probably have a lot of fun doing at least four or five hours of this easily. And we still probably wouldn't get through a division. Um, but, but you know, well, maybe we can maybe we can try to find another weekend before the before the season starts and maybe just hit three or four more. Um, I, I love coming on them because um, and doing these pods with you. And obviously like we talk offline too, and we have some of these sort of conversations and it typically ends with, we should have just recorded that. So I feel like that's what we do. Um, yeah. But I, I, again, I, I just love hearing all the different angles and knowing how well, you know, football because of the, the copious amounts of film that you watch, but you have a process tied to doing it. Um, it helps me refine, you know, my takes because while I may be coming at it from a, yeah, I watch the games. I don't, I don't know everything, you know, but I'm, you know, also very tied to trying to use the data as well and blend those things, but you're always bringing up things that I haven't thought about. And so I, I like that. And I think that's the way it should be, right. As you're trying to find and likewise, you know, yeah. so it's mean... like, it's like, how do you find people to make you better? Right. Yeah. You don't want to just have someone just like you. You want someone that has a different strength and it's like, how do you bring, it's like, you know, how do you get chocolate and peanut butter, butter together to make a Reese? like the old commercial. Remember where the two people would come yeah. around the corner and they'd yeah. meet. It's like, you put chocolate in my peanut butter. No, you put, you know, peanut butter on my chocolate. Like, I don't know which one it is, but it's greatness. Yeah. <laughs> the end, so. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that my friends ends the unofficial Reese's version of our, uh, <laughs> of our film and data um podcast reunion podcast here um obviously you can follow Dwayne um at Dwayne McFarland context matters on Twitter he does great work over pro football focus you, you know you're going to get fantastic fantasy analysis from someone who does a ton 
of high stakes drafts, who does a ton of drafts in general, and is really prepared to give you some strategic understanding of how to approach a draft. I think that's, you know, among one of the best things he does is giving you that strategic idea of who to pick and when and what your pivot points are. And, you know, you, you can't do much better than that. And of course, you know, if you're looking for, if you're also looking for an, another set of eyes for projections, you can certainly look at, you know, my day, my, um, my, my dynasty rankings and projections that I'm doing um, at the RSP. So far, the feedback's been pretty good for my rookie year of selling this. Um, and I'm sure there are some rookie year things to, to adjust and go through, but, but so far people seem to be pretty happy about it. And you can find that at mountwaldman.com as well as the, you know, that evergreen book called the RSP that seems to be, that keeps chugging along and um, is the best thing that I do, I think, um, and is available there at mountwaldman.com. We appreciate you very much. I know a lot of you have been looking forward to this podcast. I know I have been. It was definitely worth the price of admission and more so since, of course, it was free. But anyway, <laughs> we had a good time. You guys have a good weekend.